Hello, everybody. It is April the 12th of 2017. Weekly manga recap time. Nick here with Chris. We're going to talk manga. Yeah, we are. First, though. Yeah. First, though. Hmm? I don't want to start us off on a bad note. You know? Bad try note. To, yeah, I try, to, I try not to keep things in a negative note. Try to keep things very positive. I have an issue with our audience, though. Very big issue. Mm-hmm. Very upset with them. And some might say that I'm upset with them because we recently just passed our newest Patreon goal, which means that we now have to do st- Statistics September. So this year, I'm certain that we're going to have to read through Prince of Tennis to do a review on it. Mm-hmm. Some would say that's why I'm angry. It's not guaranteed. No. It's not guaranteed. Yeah, we <laughs> might do something else that we both don't want to do. <laughs> but it's beyond that, Nick. I'm angry about that for something else. How is it? We have a very sizable audience. Very communicative audience. We send, we get recommendations for things all the time. I want to know why, then all these years, nobody has told me that Narco Season 1 was the greatest thing ever and to watch it. I had to find out on my own and watch it years later like a sucker. I know it only came out in 2016, but it feels like years and none of you assholes told me anything about it. All you fuckers talking about your Rick and Mortys and your Samurai Jacks. Nobody was like, hey, Chris, you love crime dramas. Watch Narcos Season 1 because that shit's off the chain. I'm upset, Nick. I'm infuriated with them. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't even know. It's, it's. I've never, I've literally never heard of that show. It's fantastic. It's, um, it's a Netflix series. It's, it's all about the life of Pablo Escobar. And the DEA agent, agent trying to get him down. And it's, part of the advantage of me watching it is I I know the name Pablo Escobar, and I'm, like, cognitively aware of him, but I, I've forgotten all the details of his life. Sure. So, in watching it, I don't remember all the, like, the beats of his life, and it makes that shit compelling, of just how much insane shit this guy... you don't know exactly guy, what's gonna happen, right? Yeah, how this guy, at one point in time, was a congressman in Colombia. He was a drug kingpin who had managed to become a congressman... On the idea of how did you get your fortune, I just owned a taxi business. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> and the shit that just continued on from there, it is an astounding series that should just be, you absolutely need to watch. Now, I haven't seen season two yet, I just finished season one, so I don't know, season two might just be awful. This this could be Breaking Bad. This could absolutely be Breaking Bad, where I'm like, the first season is the best thing yeah. ever! And then I'm like, season two, that was actually pretty disappointing. You know what? I'm sorry I watched that. You know, that bear getting pulled out of that pool is not nearly as compelling as everyone thinks it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's watch 17 cold openings about these assassin brothers in Mexico who show up to die immediately and don't do shit. <laughs> wow, they managed to kill no one. <laughs> wow, they put Hank in a hospital to which he gets out of? Holy shit, this is incredible. I'm so glad seven minutes at the start of each episode for the past six weeks were dedicated to them. I'm very bitter about that still. Oh no, oh no, the assassin twins have been told via Bell who they have to kill. Well, they're dead. <laughs> God. That's, those are the moments where I'm like, how does no one else, how, how do so many people that name with this show, but nobody talks about how stupid those second season and third season cold openings were? How they were just two massive letdowns, one after another. I mean, I think that people just more look at it as in, they, they remember individual episodes being compelling. And, you know, it is a great show, but I'm totally with you there that, uh, that the, those overarching hints of what's going to happen are, uh, not, not so great. <laughs> I still think the first season of that show was like a legendary oh, piece fantastic. of television. It's, 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 it's incredible, but the, I, second and third season are just, oof, for me. 
Anyways. All right. So we're going to talk about manga, and also we're going to have a special guest. Yes. Yes. Someone's going to be showing up later in the show. It could be anybody, Nick. Could it anybody. could it could be Bobby Roode, as we talked about before the episode. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be like I don't have time to talk with you nerds about manga. Just hold up the championship belt, <laughs> and I'm just like, thanks for showing up, Mister Roode. <laughs> have fun on your flight home. Yes, I flew him all the way here to Harrisburg just so he could leave. He holds out holds out holds out his arms and his his champ, his uh his theme music plays and we're like wow we didn't even hit play on anything yeah, that just that like, apparently just follows him around wherever he goes <laughs> it's just this ubiquitous like theme that follows him whenever he raises his hands uh, now yeah we're gonna have a guest at some point during this episode probably early on into it I imagine it won't be too long mm-hmm. before we join us but uh in the meantime we're gonna we're gonna start the recap and we're gonna be a little switcheroo on some of the the order we normally do this in for the sake of kind of accommodating when our guest is going to show up. So we're actually going to be starting with uh, one of uh, our Crunchyroll series. We're going to be starting with Seven Deadly Sins. So this is Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter 213. We call that love. I feel like there's a song that's like that, isn't there? It definitely does sound, yeah. It's, now, it's, um, it's kind of like that song in, in uh, Hercules. You remember the one that oh, uh, yeah. Meg plays, where she's in denial about being in love with Hercules, and the the muses are, are like, "Don't deny a girl." Basically, how is it? The song is "I won't no say chance, I won't no say chance, I'm not in love." Right? No chance, no way. I won't say it. no, no. You swoon, you sigh. Don't deny it. Oh, oh. I won't say I'm you doing in flips. Love. Read our lips. You're in love. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, I got it. I got. Yeah, it's like that essentially. <laughs> As we just karaoke B-track songs. Well, I Disney knew that movies. there was no way I was going to pull that off, which is why I was just like, I will narrate the song. <laughs> I'm like, Nick, remember Iago's song from Aladdin? You're like, he didn't have one. I'm like, he did on the B-track of the cassette. Twice! <laughs> he had two songs in return to Jafar? I'm looking out for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's his song. He's like, fuck all y'all, y'all, because bottom line is what counts. I'm out of here. Things are looking bad. The second one is about how love sucks. (laughs) And I hope he does, I hope he learns no lessons by the end of it. But at the end, he's still like, Yaga looks out for number one. (laughs) Fuck all the names. (laughs) I robbed all of y'all while you're fighting Jafar. Alright, so, in Seven Deadly Sins. We're still in this flashback, and if you recall last week, we uh, had it so that King was rushing off to try to make sure Gerard didn't get killed, or rather get severely injured, and when he showed up, uh, Lowe had already was kind of holding a dismembered, battered Gerard. So this chapter actually cuts us backwards even further to what happened prior to that. And, you know, honestly, it's not that, like, heavy of stuff to kind of get through, so I think we were able to get through this relatively quickly here. Uh, basically, Lowe's having this battle, trying to kind of protect the everyone there, and it doesn't go very well. There's actually one outright brutal shot where Lowe is trying to beg her to kill him, screaming, I'm the enemy of you and everyone else with stigma, kill me. And Gerard's like, why, why? And just gets cut through. So there's someone behind her, and it's a shot that literally like, slices through her eye, through the back of her head, at the same time, 
dismembers the fucking elf, like the fairy behind her in one shot. It is some brutal ass shit to see. Uh, which I guess shows us how she lost her one eye now. Now we know exactly yes. how that happened. Um, so this guy is just tearing them apart and, uh, Gerard saying, I'm sorry, this, this must be our punishment. Um, now notably it's, it's not Lowe who actually does it. It's yes. his, uh, brother? Is this, is this stigma or is that stigma someone else? Keep saying stigma in this. I've, I've forgotten some of the, the points around here, but yeah, it's not, it's not Lowe who specifically does it. But Gerard blacks out thinking this must be your punishment. She wakes up, and we see a sword sticking out of the other guy. And Lo is cradling Gerard's body saying, you know, like, chastised, like, idiot, why didn't you kill me? Um, and it's essentially just kind of a, the story about the two of them and their, the way that they're connecting on these sorts of things, how Lo sees a little bit of uh, like, uh, how'd you phrase this, Nick? I don't know, uh, it, some of the details, I don't remember these characters specifically, so I almost feel like I'm kind of learning about two side characters at once. Yeah, it really is. He kind of, I guess, I guess he does, he sympathizes with Gerard's, like, position and appearance. Yeah. So. So, he has some remorse to that, but he's still kind of accepting that he's no different from then at the same time. Starts like, hey, don't worry about it. It's all fine. Uh And it's actually kind of a heartwarming moment between them. And that's when King shows up and we get the shot we saw last time where Gerard's had her wings ripped off, she's missing an eye, her legs are all gone. Um, <clears throat> so now we have the context behind it and it's not nearly as grim as it was. I mean, she's still jacked up, but at least it's not like, hey, look at me gloating over what I've done. He's kind of almost playing the idea that this is what he he needs to be punished for this and accepting something that he didn't actually do because he just can't, you know, he feels he needs to be killed. He needs to be punished. This is fine, as he says. I'm fine with this. So uh King is infuriated, summons his uh spear. What's his name? I can't forget. I, I'm blanking over. Like Hamelin or something? Hamelin, something like that. He summons it and just hurls it at him. And uh, at low, and that's where the chapter ends with the full page spread and the whoosh sound effect of King presumably trying to kill Gerard or not Gerard, uh, low. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm getting a little bit sick of uh, of uh, Seven Deadly Sins doing the "You thought that I killed this person, but I really didn't" thing. It's happened a lot. Uh, you know, like, uh, this person that I had this close relationship with, you thought I killed them. But there's more to the story than you, than you think. Uh, they did it with, uh, uh, they did play on it with, uh, Meliodas' backstory. They literally just did it with Galther. Mm-hmm. Um, so, seeing it happen again, it's really kind of not hitting quite as hard as I think it's meant to, for me. Yeah, it's also just one of these things where, and again, I, I, there's still a portion of Seven Deadly Sins I need to kind of catch up on, but I, I feel like there is enough relevance to these characters right now that this is all that essential of a story to have to learn. Uh, you know, there's still everything going on in the present, everything to kind of deal with there, and we just had to digest all the truth about Galther and Galther's true form and all that aspect of things, that this <clears throat> just feels like a weird kind of distraction to put alongside with it. Um, not that mm-hmm. it's per se bad, it's just one of those things that it's hard for me 
for what has been an emotional, like, several weeks of, of Seven Deadly Sins already, it feels like this was maybe just one or so too many. <coughs> but it's still good. It's just one of those ones where, um, doesn't fit or doesn't flow exactly as well as the others. So. But yeah, uh, we're gonna wrap up there with Seven Deadly Sins and move on to Fairy Tale Chapter 530, Neo Eclipse. So, the cover page again, it's, it's continuing like that one cover page to represent an arc in Fairy Tale. So this is representing the Phantom, oh, what was it, what were they, what were they called? Phantom? I don't know. Oh, god, it's gonna bother me. Phantom Force? Phantom... God damn it! Phantom Force. Phantom Force sounds like a '90s kids show. That it's, I it's, it sounds like a, a Power Rangers team. Fairy Tale. Power Rangers, Phantom Force. Well, no, this would be Phantom Lord. That was it, Phantom Lord. No, the, the Phantom Force would be their villains. Like they'd have to be like, they, we have to stop the Phantom Force and their leader, Ghostulia. <laughs> and then she, Ghostulia, shows up on screen. She's like, Rangers, Ooh, I shall destroy you. And then she, like, I don't know, she throws, like, a tombstone at a monster, and he's like, oh, it hurts! And he gets really big then for some reason. <laughs> that hurt! Now I'm gonna get big! <laughs> I mean, in Turbo, didn't Diva Truck shoot torpedoes at her monster? Yeah, yeah, she did. So, it's not the craziest thing. Anyway, uh, the reason I bring it up is, you know, that's a pretty iconic arc in Fairy Tale. It's actually where I thought Fairy Tale was at its coolest. Had some of its mm-hmm. best moments. There's that scene where Mystagon just hurls up all those flags of Phantom Lords, like various side guilds that he's been out slowly destroying back when he's being questioned as to whether or not he even cares about the guild. It's like the big climactic confrontation between Natsu and Gajil, who, you know, as we know, is a huge character now. So this is a very important arc. It's also where Elfman had his first moment to really shine in and of himself. It's not a perfect arc, but it was a very significant arc. It's also probably the last arc in Fairy Tale I thought was good. I was very excited to see what they do for this. I don't remember... I, I, I'm i trying to remember, was Lucy just held captive the entire time? Or why is she, like, laying on the ground like that? She was captive at one point. Because I feel like she's captive at every arc at some point. Yeah. But I just sit there, I'm just like... I feel like there was so much... Like, what, what, what easily could be the most, like, uh, epic arc of Fairy Tale to that point just feels so unengaging in this cover page where it's like... A giant robot in the back was like, oh yeah, I forgot they turned right, right, the into a giant robot. A robot. It's uh, like, there's, there's Juvia fawning over Gray. Makarov is really prominent in this picture as well. Didn't he do what he does in every arc, as in he got big in order to punch something and then got defeated? No, actually, this is the first time, this is the only time I think that didn't happen, because this is when he showed off that he could actually be really cool. He used fairy, not war or glimmer. He used one of the fairy spells that was like insanely powerful. And that was, like, his way of showing, like, I'm a badass. Because I don't think... I don't think that's who even fights the actual leader of the guild. I think I think it's just Makarov beat him completely. Anyway, Fairy Tale's wrapping up soon, and we're going to have to go back and reread this anyway, so let's not stick on this for too long. <laughs> uh, there's such a great Fairy Tale chapter to get to anyway. So, last time... There? We, yeah, no, there isn't. We found out the mysterious uh, person from last time was actually not... Anna, or is it Anna? I think it is Anna. I forget which all fucking Lucy's family members are called. I'm gonna say it's Anna until I find out which one it actually is. I think it is. I think it actually is. Yeah, it is Anna. So, we found out it's Anna, who is a ancestor of Lucy, who was also the mentor to all of the dragon slayers 400 years ago. 
this chapter starts off with showing basically how those two things kind of came connected, showing how Lucy's mother opened up the door for years in the future because Anna wrote a book, passed it down her lineage, saying, hey, eventually I'm going to do transport- this shit. Yeah, I'm going to transport people in the future. Make sh- fucking make sure you have someone open this door. Um, and it just also notes that the, the five kids went shooting out like fucking stars. So when, Anna, so when Anna shows up, she's like, where are the kids? Like, I think they went flying out like fucking stars for some reason. And she's just like, shucks. <laughs> Still one of those things where I'm like, why didn't she just immediately find them and solve so many of these problems that have existed since then? I guess she just didn't feel a need to. Uh, the only thing I kind of like, and I think it's just a way to tie more things together, but I do like Lucy's mom saying, uh, Layla saying essentially, yeah, I mean, I figured things were good right now. Plus, I kind of just didn't want to have this responsibility be given to my daughter, Lucy. It's it's kind of like a nice way to show why it finally came down to this. And it feels like something that should have probably happened even sooner of like in the family line. But it is important to be like, hey, this book keeps getting passed down to us. And it seems really important. I don't want my daughter to have to have this responsibility, so I'll just take this on. So I, I kind of like that notion, but um, that's... Also, it, it seems as though Lucy was, you know, five at the time. So, yeah, you're fucking better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, uh, that's essentially all it is. Anna and uh, Layla have their little conversation. Anna's like, you know, your role is finished. You know, have a happy life, et cetera, et cetera. And Layla passed away before Anna ever had a chance to see her again. Uh, It basically then just goes on to explain how she found about this magical dead zone that exists between there, a space between time. It's a a place of true nothingness. There is no good. There is no evil there. There is nothing there. And nothing can exist there, not even Acnologia. And they explain what their plan is. So what we're going to do is we're going to redirect this homing missile back into the point of origin. (laughs) That's far too smart of a plan. Their plan, literally, their plan is Acnology is chasing them, they're going to be chasing them, and then they're just going to hop over this dead zone and assume Acnology is too stupid to not also do that and just crashes straight through it like a fucking idiot. Like, you know that whole thing in, in, in World Trigger where Chica made a little jump and that was just enough to play a mental game on this guy who thought he had to as well? They're doing that, but without that second level of logic behind it. They're, they're just assuming Actology is just dumb enough that they'll just be like, I'll just fuck them, I can save two seconds by not mimicking their really out-of-characteristic moment. Ah! So that's all we get on that. I love how... It, it, <laughs> she is like, our plan is the height of simplicity. I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> I assume that that's supposed to be the joke that he thinks it's really smart and it's dumb as shit, but it's just the fact that their entire plan's just like, it's not like we're going to trick him and lure him into it, we're going to be a decoy and at the last moment divert. Their plan is literally just to hop over top of it. And at Hope Acology is just well, doesn't I mean, they're, follow they're, them. They're flying, they're flying around, so they're not necessarily going to actually, like, hop it. They could go around it in multiple different ways and just wait behind it. And so and Hope Acology just takes the most direct path towards them. But, but it is still, like, but he's, are you sure that, work? he's in visual range of them the entire time right now, is the thing. Like, 
in the three-dimensional area they're working, it just doesn't seem logical that he would see a movement they do that would be out of characteristic for them and not think something's weird about that. It is kind of weird the way that uh, they explain it, and then Urza goes, you think this will work? And Anna just says, we must attempt it. <laughs> uh, it also it, it is worth noting that the hole itself isn't actually that large. Uh, right. Anna says it's no when bigger it, than this orange, as she says. So right. I guess presumably Octologia's size could actually play a factor. I guess if you just touch it, you go into it. So the fact that Octologia is such a huge creature means that the ship could use that to its advantage. The ship could just, like, graze past it, and Actologia's sheer size would mean he touched what they wouldn't. But uh, I don't know. Their way of describing it just sounds very, simple, like, stupid to me. That the, I that mean, this I, still think this plan. I still think that this is not going to work at all, so... <laughs> well, there's more to this than, than, than meets the eye, too, because we're not done quite yet. We cut over Urza, not Urza, Lucy is talking about how... They have the book, and they should destroy it. You know, they don't need it anymore. But Happy says, uh, hey, why don't we open the book? You know, uh, what's her name? I forget the first, uh... Mavis. Mavis, that's it. Mavis says, no, you, you'll know what to do when you need to save Natsu and use your friendship to do so. <laughs> and they start realizing, like, hey, it probably has to do with this book. Let's open it. Cut over to the fight between Natsu and Zeref. Zeref is... Presumably winning, because he seems to have the arrogant angle here to talk about, like, what a letdown this is! You thought you could crush me? And it's fine. Oh, I can go back to who I was. With Mavis's power, I can go back to my old self. It's Neo Eclipse. And Natsu's like, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, and he says, it's a time reset. He will make himself once again. And essentially, bring himself back to who he was before he became immortal. Which I actually kind of like as a... A goal for him. Zara, for the longest time, has always been searching for someone who kill who could kill him, and it actually seems more villainous for him to say, "I don't want that. I want to just go back to being a powerful wizard who can eventually one day die." And then maybe so I can like you know just bang normally. You yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can just do what I want to then. Um, no one will be hurt, and you'll return to being a human being. He an Actologia will be killed. So he's even tried to frame it like it's a, a heroic thing. He's like, "What more of a happy ending?" Could you want for? And Natsu's like, so what happened to all of us? He's like, I don't know. Won't be my world then. <laughs> Guess you'll find out, buddy. Because uh, he explains that there are two keys to Neo Eclipse. One is Mavis, and she will be here very soon. And as for the other, it's a space between time. Oh, so it's the same thing Ursa and everyone are headed towards. That's how they're all going to connect, Nick. It's all very convenient, isn't it? <laughs> the greatest friendship in fairy tale was not uh, the greatest magic in fairy tale was not friendship; it was convenience. Mm-hmm. This isn't a bad chapter of fairy tale. Well, it's, like nothing happens. Really. Yeah, this really isn't a significant chapter in many ways. I, I like some of the details that have come out about it, and at least it does feel like things are tying together. But um, it is ultimately one that's not very spectacular either. So, I mean, this, I this chapter might I rank really in my top ten to chapter of fairy tale. <laughs> I really just don't have very much to say about it, because, like, okay, well, there's more exposition, info-dumping, exposition, whatever. So, eh. Eh, is right. Okay, from here we're going <clears> to <throat> go into Food Wars. Chapter 210, The Unsavory Ties of East and West. Uh, So, this... 
really is all about uh, Ishiki and uh, the past between himself and Kinokuni. We saw uh, Ishiki starting to get serious uh, in preparing his eel as he went up against Julius, I think was the guy's name. Wasn't it? Butt chin guy. Yeah, Julius or Julio. Julio, I thought. Okay. So uh, everyone is so incredibly impressed by Ishiki's uh, abilities that are on display here. Um, even the uh, MC girl is uh, freaking out by how skilled that uh, he is. And she's like, ah, uh, oh, 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 I almost forgot myself. Uh, uh, D- Julio will totally kick his ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be great if she forgot his name, too. <laughs> Julius is going to get his name. Guy. You're great. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, man. I can't see that butt chin and immediately not think of my religion teacher from junior year high school. He had the most pronounced butt chin possible. <laughs> and it was... It, it was, like, iconic. You couldn't see the dude without being like, you have a butt for a chin. So much so that when I drew my comic back in the days, of like every like it was just a comedy comic I drew of my friends with us, and every he was represented, he was just a giant ass <laughs> on the t- uh, as the face on the stick figures. <laughs> every so often it would fart. It was very humorous. I loved South Park at the time, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> that is such a that is such a fucking high school thing. <laughs> High school humor is the ultimate you-had-to-be-there humor. There are so many fucking stupid in-jokes that you develop when you're in high school. Yeah, there's an absurd amount of those. There was there was one running gag that my, my, a group of friends that uh, I had that sat together in my physics class developed, where we would just make progressing cat noises, or like... The cat starts off happy and then gets and then gets frightened by something and then dies essentially. And each of us would do a different part of the cat noises. It was so stupid. Uh, I feel like this is like a, a, a rather like a Catholic kind of, and not, I mean Catholic in the universal's ta- uh, term, Catholic game. But uh, in our school, they used to do the penis game, which was you had to take turns saying penis oh. in progressively penis. louder ways. Yes. Penis! So guys would used to be like, knock their books over penis! <laughs> Sorry about that. You just and, have to go louder and louder until someone gives up. I'm about to inception us to take us on a second level tangent, but to that notion, my brother has always had the idea if he ever wrote like a sitcom or anything, that he has one gag he wants to put in there that just still makes me laugh to this day. And it's at like a kid's school and he really has to fart. So his plan is to knock all of his books off his desk right. and then fart once the hits the ground. Right. But instead, the way it goes is knocks the books off, bump. <laughs> so instead, the book just turns everyone's attention to him, and then he farts really loud. <laughs> I think that I'm, I'm, your brother might be disappointed because I'm pretty sure I've seen that joke. No! <laughs> no! <laughs> this world shattered. <laughs> <laughs> you just hear my brother start screaming from the other room. Okay. All right. <laughs> Back to World of Food Wars. So, uh, inside of the cage, uh, the girls are discussing what Ishiki has done with uh, the eel. And uh, Hisako brings up again the nude apron. Oh, given his fondness for that, no one would ever imagine him being capable of such a thing. And Alice is, st- is still confused. It's like, what is the nude apron? Tell me! You! Tell me! <laughs> I do love her attitude. Like, tell me what the dude apron is. I'm curious. Also, uh, apparently, when this was in Japanese, the they just put no comento. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, 
I mean, is there a PC way to explain it? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> also, it's I don't know naked, why. I, except for an apron. I know that it's what they do whenever Alice is, like, being comedic, but it's right. weird that, like, in these three panels, she just has no pupils. Like, she's just lost them. <laughs> oh, my God. It's terrifying. It's like, it's like Alice is in the room with me. All right. Um... Ariana brings up the fact that the Kino Kuni family in the East and the Yashiki family in the West are venerable houses, two of the most prominent families in traditional Japanese cuisine. And uh, we then launch into a flashback to when Kino Kuni and Yashiki met as children. Um, so while they're, like, hanging out, Kino Kuni tried to make friends with Yashiki, uh, but instead of, like, playing games with her, like, super stereotypical old games like Cat's Cradle and Jack's. Instead, she could just, like, randomly picks up a dragon flute and starts playing it and uh, takes to it almost immediately, uh, picks up the, you know, the, the guitar, takes to it almost immediately. So these things that Kinokuni would spend hours and hours practicing and doing it better, he would just immediately pick up. And Kinokuni apparently has always resented him for it. And this is a pretty um, standard story, but it's one that when it's executed well, I always like. It's it's a story I find a particular fascination in, that story of hard work versus natural talent. And even though it's not, you know, beat by beat, that kind of story, because Kinokuni herself seems to be somebody who also has a natural aptitude for these sort of things as well, uh, it's still that same sort of story as even though Kinokuni is talented and she works at these things... Uh, he's just better at her. He's just better. Naturally, he just picks it up and is more successful at it. And, you know, it comes into the chapter later on, but it makes perfect sense as to the fact that she's annoyed by the fact that she's ranked higher than him on the seat of the Council of Ten, even though it's mostly just because he doesn't seem to work at it at all. I love this sort of story. Like, the the story of Aegon versus, uh, what was his brother? Udwi or Udon? Unsweet. 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 That's still one of my favorite, like, side stories within, um, Ice Shield 21. Just a fantastically told story of two brothers, one who works for everything and one who gets it all so easily. Yeah. And, uh, apparently Kirikuni has always been the more disciplined of the two. And she actually, and she seems to more resent Ishiki for his attitude about everything more than anything else. She refers to Ishiki as a freeloader who trained with us. We were never, ever friends. And she's just like, ah, oh, come on. What's wrong? <laughs> Doesn't really care, and also doesn't seem to have too much of a problem with the way that she is treating him, too. Um, and uh, while Soma is preparing his noodles with a noodle maker, uh, Kinokuni is continuing to hone in on Nishiki, because uh, she's saying, it's like, hey, you better you better come out for the next bout, Nishiki, and you're going to take me on. We're going to do this. We're going to see who's better once and for all. And Ishiki's like, hey, hey, you know, I might lose to who to Julio, and then I will qualify for the second bout. And she's like, oh, come on, you drop the pretenses. Everyone knows that the only reason I've got a higher seat than you is because you weren't serious. You've always been like that. Any skill I took time to learn and perfect, you picked up like it was nothing. While seeming to only half try at that. And I won't tolerate that flippant attitude. Where it's time we determine which of us is the greatest chef in Tutsuki Institute's 91st class, and it won't be you. And Ishiki's just like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Because before you have the chance to face me, 
you're going to lose to a first-year chef named Yukihira. And it's this big full-page spread when he says this, light shining down at him from behind. He's not even looking at her. And he's just got this look of utter, like, not even really confidence, just he knows. Yeah, absolute and knowledge of a fact. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be confident about it. He just knows. Yeah. So secure in the knowledge of it. And uh, Kinokuni uh, gets really flustered when she hears him say say this, but uh, the MC says, Oh, look, look, someone you hear has made his move. He's got a steel walk, and he's putting it down in the high heat. And everyone watches him for a bit. He's like, All right, here we go. Do, 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 do. And frying noodles. Do, do. And um, that's basically the that's basically the end of the chapter. Uh, everyone's kind of shocked that uh, he's going to be frying his noodles for his soba dish, but that's about it. Yeah, I, as far as like the progression of things, this one didn't go much of a long way to really pushing that. I still don't really see what the the turnabout is quite yet, or anything along those lines. But what yeah, I do, we need to like eat more Asian food or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, the, the 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 actual food like turnabouts and food wars are always going to throw me off. But I just mean like the fact that I feel like for the past three weeks now I felt like we were supposed to get like a climactic next chapter, and we haven't quite yet. We still haven't gotten like to any either of them being done, or even really much of a sense of what's going to happen. But what I appreciate about this chapter is it's developing these characters and their relationships and. You know, even though we're at the end of this arc, um, and possibly the series, who knows? I, I'm getting more of the sense that that may not be happening, again, just for how much time is being spent on these sort of things. It's still really nice to get that moment to start to know who these characters are, are about, and what their relationships are. And it immediately, I have a big, fa- I have a big fascination with the fact that there is a relationship at the council that is entirely innate to themselves. It doesn't have to involve Soma, doesn't have to involve Sukasa or any of the other casts. It's just Kido Kuni and uh Sukasa not Sukasa, um Ishiki. Ishiki, who had their own history before this and have their own rivalry kind of built in. Everything else seems to kind of relate one way or another to Sukasa or Soma. It's nice that this one is entirely its own self contained story, and they're not even competing directly with one another. They're not in a match with each other. They just happen to be in the same teams on opposite sides of this. So I'm uh, I'm really happy about that. I do really appreciate the fact that we've gotten to see a lot of the uh, interconnections between the council members, uh, the relationship between Rindo and Kuga and Kuga and Tsukasa, um, and um, also the way that the different years seem to kind of play into each other as well. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it makes them feel like a more complete entity, despite the fact that we really only know about half of them at this point. Yeah. It's, there's still quite a few members of the council. I mean, we still don't know anything about that dude with the sword. Like, to this day, we still don't really know much about him. We still don't know much about, uh, we, Pe- saw, we saw him playing, we saw him playing Shogi. That's about it. Yeah, <laughs> like, we, st- we still know nothing about Megashima at this point. Uh, we don't even know who the other possible jobber member of the council is at this point yet. The guy with the baseball yeah. hat or could be a woman. I don't know. person. Yeah. Yeah. We still don't know about those people as of yet. So there's still a lot to kind of discover about this council and it's nice to be able to get these details to have them be fleshed out and to get to see more about them. My biggest worry when everything felt like it was speeding up was that ultimately we reached a point where we weren't actually going to care about those details. We were going to just kind of gloss by them and go right to the end of things, and we were going to lose out on a lot of very interesting possibilities from these final matchups. So I was uh, 
very excited about that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, real quick then. So I've seen a couple people mention in the chat. Some people have been asking, uh, are we going to be talking about Blue Exorcist? Um, I don't think we've decided yet whether or not we're going to add Blue Exorcist to the recap. We didn't pick it. We didn't, like, do the recommendation on it on the sole notion of, yeah, we're definitely going to be adding it to the recap. Um, we kind of just read it to see, you know, catch up on it and see. Give a taste it was, on it. And, it yeah. Uh, yeah, it was one of the ones that we had on there. And last time, actually, I didn't, uh, I didn't give a series uh, recommendation or uh, our next re- recommendation that we we're going to do at the end of the episode. That was a busy week for me in a lot of ways. So I wanted to announce it. I announced it on Twitter, but in case people aren't following me on Twitter, which you should do, WMR Podcast. Uh, the next series we're going to be doing is for Haikyuu, which is uh, another one of those series that was kind of up in that pool for what series we got to recap. Haikyuu is the same way. Even though we're doing Haikyuu, it does not necessarily mean we're going to be adding it to the regular recap. It's just one that's going to be one that we're going to kind of look at and see where it is. It's also going to be fun to do a uh, sports series after not having done one in a while. And uh, I remember really liking Haikyuu, so I'm excited to do it. So mm-hmm. you want to check that one out. So I think we actually have our guest then. So uh, you keep it up, Nick. Keep, keep going. You you do keep you. Going. You do you. I'm going to try to get our guest in here. We'll be uh, All right. set up in just a moment. Okay, so the next series then that we're going to go into is The Promised Neverland. So uh, it's been a crazy couple of weeks for this series, and uh, the explanations of the big twist that we've had uh, are uh, continuing here. Uh, So it's, uh, what is the chapter 34, Action Part 3. So, uh, yeah, uh, everyone has, at least from Isabella, and uh, they are off in the woods now, trying to get away. So, this is, um, I guess, still a flashback? Yeah, this is still a flashback to uh, when, basically just between Emma stopping Ray from setting himself on fire and uh, them actually getting away. So, uh, they, Ray's gotten changed into his new set of clothes, and Ray's like, what, what, what's going on? And Emma slaps him in the most cartoonish panel of the series so far. It's so, it's so stick figure and blurry. Uh, and, uh, of course she scolds him for trying to kill himself. And, uh, then she introduces the substitute for Ray, which is a shirt covered in various meats and hair. Hair provided by a little girl, uh, in the orphanage named Anna. Another Anna this week. And, uh, then, um, they basically just fucking cut his ear off so that they can leave the tracking, uh, device there as well. So, there you go. So, Ray is still like, what the fuck is all this bullshit? How did I not think of this with my baby memories? It's not fair. Um, <laughs> Oh my god, guys, my baby memories aren't working at full capacity. Oh, uh, I, I didn't know how many of my baby memories were stored inside my ear. Oh. <laughs> oh. So disorientating without all of them. I'm going to be like Picasso, but younger, so I'm better. <laughs> That's Van Gogh. Oh! <laughs> no, <I'm> no. <laughs> Actually, I was referring to a much less known Van Gogh. I know you immediately went to your... Picasso Van Gogh. <laughs> <laughs> 
I went to the Picasso people don't speak of a lot. Um, so, yeah. We get a little bit of stuff from Emma's perspective of a conversation she had with Norman where he predicted a lot of the moves that Ray was trying, was going to make. Uh, that Norman had, had concluded just from something that Ray had said that he wasn't planning on escaping himself. So they had to prevent that. And, uh, Norman ended up coming across the gasoline that Ray had hit away, uh, realized what his plan was, and then was like, okay, this is what we've got to do in order to modify it so that we can all get away. Communicated to that, uh, all that to Emma in a letter, which, uh, he hid away for her to find. I want to note was we've had this thing going for a while. Is it's like does Norman have like special feelings for Emma? And he starts off the letter with "My dearest Emma." I don't know, man. I, I I like to just think that he's a little like um proper. Uh, yeah, proper or just um. I, I'm trying to think of a nice way to put it. The um very flowery. Like, he has a very flowery way of kind of, like, uh, I feel like he's someone who puts a lot of airs on in trying to seem more formal than he necessarily needs to. Like, Victorian music is playing as he's, as he's writing this. Or just, dearest Emma, or just I'm like, going to write down the plan from here. We're going to burn that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just has a masterpiece theater playing the entire time. But no, I feel like if he had wrote the letter to, uh, Ray, it would have been like, Ray, gentlemen and scholar, friends of mine. <laughs> All right. Um, so he came up with uh, with this whole plan for them. Um, and uh, we he he then says, uh, you know, our true plan hasn't discovered. There's time. I also got an unexpected item, and we then see the pen, which uh, also has a key mold uh, with it, and uh, so. It's the same key that presumably that um that Crone left for them. So I, I I'm pretty sure that he's does is he using the pen as a pen in this? Uh no, he's not. Is he? I I don't think we actually see him specifically writing is. with it. No, we see a pen in his hand when he's writing, and it doesn't look like it's the same pen that is found. I don't know. Hey, so Nick, so, Nick, no. wait, we got uh, we got our guest on the line. Yo, hey, you hear me? Cool. Oh yes. my gosh, a stranger has arrived who has never been on the show before at all, ever. Challenger appears. Yeah. Da 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 da. Yeah. What's 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 the like the Tekken song when like a new challenger comes in, like burn out da da da, and then like you know King and you know, the robot guy stop fighting for a moment. And that's when Akuma comes in and kills the both of them. I don't actually know these fighting game references. I'm just <laughs> shooting them out there. To, I'm just slingshotting them out there to see what happens, basically. Yeah, you I mean, start throwing out random fighting character names. Yeah, I'm just like, and then Scorpion shows up alongside uh, Tina Armstrong. And, uh, <laughs> and then and Chun Lee roundhouses them. Yeah, um, yeah we got Jeff R- Ruberg on the show, everybody. Whoa! Jeff Ruberg! Oh my gosh, it's Jeff! Jeff from Shonen Jump, as well as uh, the Potuges put- app. I, I have such a hard time saying that goddamn time. Podigious podcast. There we go. Wouldn't it be Podigious? Podigious. Yeah, it, uh, I mean, see? yeah we, we say Podigious, but I mean, that's not how you pronounce Prodigious, right? Exactly. So, like, 
But I thought yeah, it was, I, 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 I didn't even think, I guess it is, it would be the prodigious pun, but in my mind, I just say pod and then yeah, me too. flow off of that. So, but hey, I we mean, have you on and we're in the middle of, uh, of the promised Neverland. Yeah. Yeah. This is actually a really bizarre experience for me because I was listening live while I was on the bus back okay. to my apartment. <laughs> so it's, it's weird to like jump in midstream, like listening to a podcast and then jump into it. Yeah. It's like going into a digital world. Like, you know what, you know what it's actually, it, it's, it's much like the aha video oh, take on me. <laughs> oh man. Oh, yeah. uh, God. Those two comparisons, I don't know which is worse. You ready? You okay, Nick? Do you need to? Yep, fine. All right, all right. <laughs> I had to make sure. Let's do so, this. So, yeah, we're talking about Promised Neverland, and we were just discussing the items that Norman found that uh, Crone had left for him to find, or the kids, I guess, in general to find. Uh, Wait, we're talking about Promised Neverland? Yeah, I, yeah. I prepared, I, I read, like, 20 volumes of Digimon manga. I thought that we were talking about <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that there was that there was a Digimon manga. Well, I mean, we can we can shift t- <laughs> shift to the lanes into that, I guess. You know, yeah. But uh, uh, let me yeah. just uh, open up. Uh... <laughs> I'm like, so Gabumon was my favorite character in in the manga. <laughs> Excuse me, in the manga, there's no Gabumon. There is a Digimon that looks like a Gabumon called Gabo. All right, so well, I like Gabo, man. Uh, is, so, ooh, is it like the gangster Togepi equivalent of the Digimon manga? Like, do they have um, <laughs> oh, what was it like, Poromon when to- when uh, Patamon was like a fucking in training for way too long, so like it had to be carried around everywhere, so they had to give it like a gangster top hat, everything to make it cool in the manga version, so people didn't hate him. So, which Digimon manga then are we going to be talking about? Are we going to talk about the one where Arbok gets cut in half, or the one where Ash uses <laughs> a flare in order to train his Charizard? Are these things that actually happened in the Pokemon manga? Yes, in two different ones. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Now, to be fair, the Arbok was not actually cut in half. Well, it, it was. Well, no, it, it was. was uh, it just, they, they, they give it that Arbok's, they could regrow, can't they? they just yeah, could... it just regenerates like a snake. Yeah. So but yeah, in the, I think it's Electric Tail of Pikachu manga, I think that that's what it's called. Yeah, it, what, in the Pokemon League, Ash is using a flare in order to get his Charizard to obey him. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And well, that's what the Pen and Promise Neverland is. It's a Charizard training flare. <laughs> Holy shit, if a Charizard comes down to save all the kids in the Promise Neverland, this is, I mean, it ruins all the mystique, but holy shit, that is the best ending of all time. Like, mom corners the kids, and like, you're all gonna be devoured, and Emma's like, I have one last trick up my sleeve. Charizard, go! <laughs> Charizard shows up. suddenly has Ash's baseball cap. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome! I, mean, I think you're missing the obvious term. I mean, Phil. Phil is definitely a Pokemon trainer. Okay, yeah. Ooh. So. That's when uh, Phil shows up. He has a Blastoise. They're like, shit, we lose. Till Emma's oh, like, no. I he have was one. the whole time. I have one more trick up my sleeve. Charizard! Digivolve! <laughs> and she has her little Digivice there. And it becomes Mega Charizard. And the circle is complete. <laughs> you know what? I think that, I think the pen is actually what, cause they don't, they don't show what the pen did, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, it, so we see the letters WM. I mean, everyone assumes it's William Minerva, right? Right. But I'm pretty sure that there was an R and they just erased it. And it's actually a podcast listening device. <laughs> listening oh, to wow. That'd be awesome. 
Oh, we can give advice to the kids. It would be terrible advice. We're late. We're less smart than they are. I'd be like, I write them advice. I'm like, guys, how do you multiply fractions? I completely forgot. They're like, wait, you you sent this in to ask us for help? I'm like, guys, I have a placement test. I really need to know. Come on, haven't you ever... Haven't you ever read the Hunger Games where they communicate with the contestants in order to gain advice from them? <laughs> your Katniss, your relationship with Pita is so perfect. Can you give me advice on my love life? <laughs> she's she's like, stop with these dra- arrows, please. <laughs> Don't get drafted into a into a child murdering game. <laughs> That's I my mean, advice. It worked out pretty well for her with with Pita, at least. I mean. They- <laughs> He's kind of scarred for life, but like, eh. Literally and mentally. <laughs> so, anyhow. Norman found the key mold, found the pen, question mark, uh, left them with, uh, for Don Gill to find after briefly noting it to them. Uh, they pass it on to Emma along with his note to her, and thus that communicate the plan. Uh, we, we get a nice little shot of, you know, uh, Kind of putting it down simultaneously, Norman writing the letter and Emma tearfully reading it, which is a nice little shot. And uh, then after all that, okay, we're all caught up. Let's get to the present. And uh, Emma catches up with the whole group. Uh, Ray is there. Emma and Ray have, of course, the bandages that they're holding over their freaking cut-the-fuck-open ears. <laughs> and uh, then they start running off in order to get away. And Ray's like, hey, Don, um, what, 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 what's going on? I, I, I don't like not knowing everything. Uh, <laughs> I have to know everything. And so that could be the smartest person in the room, even though we're not in the room, which I'll tell you what I, uh, oh, oh, I'm lightheaded right now. He's <laughs> like, I've lost a lot of blood, which is cool. I didn't need a whole lot of blood. I've actually been gained away with very little blood. You guys would understand. It's a new form of a Gwyneth Paltrow, actually. I'm, I'm going to pass out now, guys. <laughs> Steve, clean my vagina for me, please. <laughs> I'm about to, I'm going down. Well, Ray, there's a few problems with that idea. <laughs> so are, are their whole ears missing, or is it just part of the ear? I assume that it's just, like, the outer part of the ear. That's what it... Because that was the only part of the ear that we saw. Oh, uh, yeah. When, On the floor. Uh, in the last chapter. Hmm. So they cut out the part of the ear that would have contained the tracking device, and I guess that's it. That makes, that makes uh, sense. Which I guess is going to make... Uh, the designs for them in the future interesting. It's going to have, you know, partial ears on those two kids for well, forever. I mean, you could always just grow out Emma's hair so it covers up that one side of the ear. You That's don't true. have to focus yeah. on it too much. And Ray's hair is already... Ray, Ray's just like, I'll just sweep it a little bit further over. Okay, yeah, this, <laughs> this, is, a, this is a cool hairstyle. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Most people can only grow enough hair on their bangs in order to cover up their eye, but I cover up my entire or at the face over here. See, some people said that my chemical romance was the height of emo fashion, but I like to go one step beyond. <laughs> I'm going to double uh, double one-sided swoop my hair. So, at some point in the past, we were informed that Emma and Norman decided to just go behind Ray's back and just tell all of the kids about uh, the plan to escape. And uh, it's... It was back when they were doing laundry, which I know was a specific scene that we saw them in in a previous chapter, mm. but uh, I don't remember exactly where that was placed. It was relatively recently, uh, relatively. And uh, so they gradually started telling the children from that point on. And in fact, 
before they'd even gone to, to ask Crone questions, those four kids, the first four already knew, and Don and Gilda let them listen in the conversation with Crone so that they got to know the truth from that point. So some of the questions that they asked Crone, which seemingly were just to confirm things that they already knew, or to confirm that she could be trusted, uh, that was also so that they could hear it from the horse's mouth. And, yeah, smart stuff. And Ray's just like, oh, you lied to me! <laughs> it's like, wait, does this mean I'm not the smartest? <laughs> it's like everyone here had a backup plan and a plan within a plan, and I just decided to light myself on fire. <laughs> No, no, clearly I'm the smartest. It's just the blood loss. Oh. <laughs> In his mind, all of them are just like, you're so smart, Ray. You're so cool, Ray. He's like, he's seeing like, like teddy bears and talking cats bouncing around in his mind. Ray's the smartest with his baby memories. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, puddles. <laughs> see, I don't, I don't really see what the, um, having the kids listen to the current conversation buys them. I guess, I guess they, that means they trust it for sure. Well, but- that's a, a confirmation to that fact, because otherwise they're just going off of the other kids' words that this is the truth of what actually happened. Right. Actually having Crone, because the way they identify it, too, isn't by provoking Crone into saying an antagonistic sort of comment. It's that her confirming one of uh, Norman's questions, because the, the way it happens that we specifically see is like, or how about how the adults feel when they kill us kids? And Crone's like, yes, anything you want to know. So having them hear that is a way to confirm that it's not like they're pulling some weird sound bite out of her or anything like that. They get confirmation right there that Crone knows what's happening. They're killing the kids, everything like that. Like that's the way they have to accept the truth because it's the reality of things. Right. I mean, I guess I just feel, it feels a little bit uh, unnecessary because I mean, they didn't need anything like that to convince Don and Gilda, right? They, they were able to do that without evidence from mom and Crone. Right? I guess I can't remember how they, I feel how like they convinced they, them. Didn't they do something with, Crone, well, I felt they, like... li- they lied about it uh, to Don and Gilda at first. They didn't give them the whole story. Yeah. Because they thought it was a little bit too ridiculous. Right. I, but, I mean, even, even if it isn't, you know, necessary to convince the kids, it's a really great, you know, just a reveal for the reader, like pulling the rug under, under off from the reader, because it's just like, that was that feels, that feels so long. I don't know how many chapters ago that was, but it feels like forever ago in the course of the series. About yeah. half of the series at yeah. this point. And to... Because there have been various points in the series where it's been like, oh, someone mentions a plan, and they don't really explain what that is. And you're like, okay, I guess that like thread was forgotten about. And like that happens all the time, and especially in like serialized manga like this, where oh, yeah. you, know, you have to keep evolving the story every week. But then to just be like, oh, wait, all those threads you thought we were left, you thought we left dangling? No, they're tying all back together. It's, it's like... Sick. Seeing it from like a conversation too, from the like, another side completely. You know, we saw this scene, this conversation between Chrome and, and Norman, and seeing like, oh, there was an entire other aspect to it we didn't even know of at the time that was kind of deciding some of the things these kids said and things like that. Knowing now, getting to see what the the implications of that are does kind of help to feel like so much of the series is is planned that far ahead and has that much like intricate detail to it that almost makes you want to like go back towards any scene and start rereading it and be like, I wonder if there's something about this because this felt a bit odd, or I wonder if there's something about this. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, we also get to see like uh, when Emma was slumped against the tree in despair and the kids were comforting her and stuff. No, that was actually her passing along plans to them. <laughs> oh, God. And uh, Don wraps it up by saying, yeah, we've actually spent the last two months bringing in all the other kids, too. So 
essentially everyone knows about uh, the escape now. And uh, everyone reaches the wall. They start getting ready to climb up. And uh, all of a sudden, Ray seems to realize something. And uh, we cut back to Isabella, who has uh, one of the cut-off ears in her hand, and she starts laughing because she realizes, wait, this means that Emma and Ray are alive. So this is fine. Okay, as long as they're alive, that means I can catch them. And okay, sure, I'll catch everyone. I'll catch all of you, my adorable children. I won't let you escape. And the thing that Ray has realized at that moment is somebody's missing. And Isabella, someone tugs on her skirt, she looks down, and it's Phil, who's come back to her. Now, there's a few things to this that are really interesting. One, Mom's carrying this device around with her, and it looks like mm -hmm. it's almost like a communication device. Right. It's, considering the circumstances she's in, it has to be a very important device if she's like, I have to go catch, like, fucking 20 kids who are all going to be a lot <laughs> faster than me, presumably. Uh, so to bring this along, I wonder if there's some kind of almost like weapon to this or some way that she could use this to kind of get an advantage on the kids in some way. Well, from the looks of it, it's, uh, it seems cause she's, it's designed like a briefcase and it seems as though it can actually be take, be, uh, opened up. So it does seem as though there's more to it than just a radio yeah. uh, device. But the other thing that's weird is... This is, this is sort of the big cool moment for Emma and the rest of the kids. This is their moment when they're like, everything it seems like has been going so wrong for us in the past few months has been us slowly taking advantage of it. And this one moment, everything's going perfectly because of, you know, the plans that Norman's put into place and our execution of it and everyone being so focused. So you'll notice that no one's responded yet in this chapter to what Ray's kind of noticing. And he's the one who's kind of out of the loop on all this because he's the only one who doesn't know their plans. I know some people are saying, like, oh, Phil's a traitor or something like that. I wonder if this still isn't in some way part of Emma's plan. Because none of the other kids have noted, like, hey, Phil's not here. And that mm. seems that seems like an oddity for them. If if all these kids have been slowly getting, you know, brought into the fold and Phil was too and all that, it does strike me as weird that, like, Emma and, and Don and Gilda, none of those kids to this point have been like, hey, we're missing Phil, when considering this is, like, the most important part of the plan to be like, hey, everyone's here, right? <laughs> well, and also Phil is the sixth student, like the one that she made special mention of that he was doing really well, uh, aside from Don and Gilda and the main three. So, <laughs> replica rabbit, which I was like, maybe they don't like Phil. <laughs> <laughs> this is also like a, a side observation to it, too. But you notice how they, they brought up again that scene of Emma with the tree mm -hmm. and how that was actually not a moment of anything, but her kind of talking to them about plants. If you remember back in that scene and the one person they don't show in there was actually Phil giving her a hug. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if the fact that he's in, not included in that memory again plays into this at all or not. Hmm. I mean, that's the thing about this series, you know. There's a you can take a lot of different things that happen a number of different ways, and uh, you just kind of have to wait in order to find out what the truth is. How'd you feel about it, Jeff? Now that you're here and you realize we're not talking <laughs> about Digimon manga. I mean, this is this is really Digimon manga if you think yeah, about it. Yeah. I mean, 
It's a bunch of different kids who are stranded in a world with scary monsters, uh, trying to make their way to safety and. Phil's kind you know. of like the uh, the Ken of this group. Like, he might be a enemy, but at the end of it, he'll learn out he had the crest of kindness waiting for him all along, and he was supposed to be part of the original team or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I mean, mom's like, like Jenna. I mean, basically, there's the same <laughs> character design. Yeah. It's like one she's, of the same. She's that, she's that creepy evil Jenna, you know. <laughs> oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, we haven't, we haven't seen mom lick the kids yet. Hmm? That's it. Hey, have you seen, in, in the newest Digimon movie, Jenna licks... I've heard about it, yeah. 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 Did it? Wait, didn't mom lick Emma like a couple like chapters ago when she had like she, that like, big moment? Up her, she like looked up her tears, basically, didn't she? Yeah, I was like, didn't she actually lick her at some points? Yeah, she is evil Jedi. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Um, no, I mean this. Yeah, this chapter. I mean, I'm thinking. I'm thinking back to way. I can't remember when it was. It was pretty early in the series run where they. It was the first moment where I was like, I'm sold on the series, which was when they laid out that Emma wanted to save everyone, and Ray was like, that's not practical. And Norman was stuck in the middle and was like, okay, I need to carry out Emma's plan without letting Ray know that it's going on. And need to save everyone while making Ray think we're only saving some people. And I was like, both of those, like, saving everyone and saving just the three of them are both, like, almost impossible situations in this world that's been laid out. And then doing one of them while pretending to be the other one is even harder. Like, there's no way he's going to pull it off. That's crazy. And to see it actually come to fruition, I mean, who knows if it's actually going to work out, but, like, what's been laid out to this point, this plan they're executing, is that scenario. And it's like, holy crap, Like I didn't think that'd be possible to pull off. And if convincingly, nothing feels like a, like, oh, well, you kind of cheated with that. You kind of skipped over that, whatever. It all feels super convincing. And I mean, like the, the series has like lied to us as the reader many times, not in a way, not in a like, contrived way, but in a like ch- selectively choosing what to show us. Mm-hmm. And not in a way that makes you feel like, oh, come on, that was basically, you know, <laughs> cheating. Right? It feels like, holy, like it, it is a really, Effective roller coaster, and I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe this is a train. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like it's every chapter, though, it's like, well, I mean, this could just be a train wreck after this point. Like, yeah, the, the cliffhanger of this ends, like, the, re- the resolution of this cliffhanger could be terrible, but each one instead is like, oh, higher and higher. So I'm excited, and I think, I think Phil, I don't know. I mean, my immediate thought when reading it was that, like, Phil's actually messing up mom's plan. She's yeah. like, she's like, so, she's so excited, she's so happy. And, you know, maniacally so, that they're safe. And then Phil is there to screw it up. And, well, I, she, I, I don't know. She doesn't see him there and greet him with, like, excitedness. She gives him, she, like, her first shot, like, look is a look of shock. So, I mean, possibly he is going into, like, be like, Mom, I'll tell you where the other kids are, because I'm betraying the crap out of them. But that's what, like, leads me to, like, adds another layer, layer into me thinking that he's working against her, and this is just another layer, level of their plan. Is the mm-hmm. fact that this is something for mom to immediately look at and say, like, this is wrong. What's going on? This doesn't make sense. These 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 kids have something else in the works, essentially. Yeah, and I, I think Phil is the perfect, the perfect like tool for this this cliffhanger because it's just like he's such an enigma to us at this point. I mean, we yeah. know that he's supposed to be super smart, but we also just like he's a little doofus little kid. He's like <laughs> fucking goober. Like half the season, he keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> He jumped up more than his full height off the ground when he found out he had a good score. Like, <laughs> <laughs> if he's a demon, I mean, I guess a lot of people are speculating that, but... Look at that weird face of his. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> like that. Oh, no nose. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's something. All right. Okay, let's move on to My Hero Academia. 
number 133, Ketchup Kirishima. Last time, Sun Eater had been shot by some sort of power quirk-suppressing dart. Uh, Kirishima had been shot by it too, but, you know, super hardened skin. It didn't actually affect him. So uh, we pick up where we left off uh, there. Uh, Sun Eater tries to snatch the uh, guy who shot him, but uh, his quirk won't activate. And we actually see the, like, his tentacles, he's trying to extend them from his fingertips. They're going out little ways, but he can't get them to go out any further than that. So instead, Kirishima rushes off after the uh, shooter. Um, I really hope it's just temporary. Because, I mean, uh, I think, it, I think it is from what we learn in this chapter about what the, uh, chem- the chemicals that they have do. It'd be a shame hmm. to introduce this character with this cool of a power and just be like, and he'll never use it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Kirishima goes after the shooter. A chase uh, begins. Um, what's his name? Uh, the the BMI hero. Oh, uh, <laughs> fat? Belly? Fat? Chop? Fat? Fat gum? Fat gum? Was it? Fat gum? It sounds right, but I like calling him Fat Belly or like Fat <laughs> <Belly>. <laughs> Fatty McFatter Fat Fat. <laughs> Fatso. Uh, uh, let, me, let me just give him all the nicknames my brother gave me when I was in oh, high school. Wow. Uh, Titty McFat Bitch, <laughs> Tubbs, uh, Jugs of Plenty, Fatty Pelopagus. I can go on and on, but uh, this all work. I'm fat- sorry, I need to go cry now. He immediately goes like, what, is a racer around here? Which, hmm. Uh... Kirishima, uh, while, while chasing the guy down is like, hey, what are you running away for? Did, weren't you saying you were gonna save your friends? <laughs> um, and, uh, Kirishima has essentially decided he doesn't like the guy because he's not really a man. He's getting scared like this and running off, so the guy does, uh, have to stand and fight when he runs into a dead end. He grows some blades out of, uh, his forearm, and of course they don't they don't work on Kirishima at all. He just powers through it with his hard skin, punches the guy right in the face, and uh, he's like, all right, that's it. You're done. The guy immediately starts crying like a bitch. He's like, oh, my quirk sucks. I can't do anything. My blades can barely stand more than 10 centimeters, and you've got that awesome quirk. It's like, I can't get stronger in order to help people. It's like, you're just like, oh my god. Uh, okay, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, the guy takes out a hypodermic needle, injects it into his neck, and he says, if I stick with the gang, I'll be granted power. You're good enough to be a hero, so don't even pretend to understand. <laughs> and he freaks out, and blades come shooting out of every part of his body, blasting out, like, several meters in every direction and knocking Kirishima backwards. And uh, trying out the shirt. Don't don't forget about that. Oh, no. It's, 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 it's shirt. Oh, no. Uh. It's a pretty vicious-looking panel, though. It's that one oh, of those yeah. things where Horikoshi's art is so unique in that way. There's just something about the way all the blades, like bend and jag outwards at different parts that just look so distinct and visually like popping that it's just like oh man this makes us seem so much more vicious than it actually probably is and it's still pretty vicious for just being like razor blades shooting out at this guy uh sun eater t- uh talks with the police while turning over uh the gang members that they've actually captured 
Uh, it seems as though Fat has gone on ahead without him. Um, and, uh, so Sun Eater is trying to talk with the gang leader and he's like, whoever is keeping my core from activating, it must be from one of your illegal products. And the guy's just like, go to hell. So of course he puts his head up against the wall. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically the scene. What happens Uh, if they use their power and they absorb fat gums quirk? Does he lose the weight? <laughs> it's, it, is it going to be like Blob and X-Men where he lost his mutant power and he lost all the fat but kept all, kept all the extra skin so he just committed suicide because he was so depressed? <laughs> Somehow not the worst thing involving Blob in a comic. Anyway. <laughs> One time he ate the wasp. Yeah, that was <laughs> fucked up. So uh, we cut back to Kirishima fighting against the, guy, the shooter uh, who now has blades coming out of his eyeballs. Wow. Well, yeah. Uh, it's a great visual of him, like, advancing towards Kirishima and the blades, are, you know, sticking out everywhere, just grinding against the uh, walls of the building surrounding them. So just, he's cutting a path everywhere he goes. Uh, so Kirishima's like, oh, wow, he's he's got that, I've, I've heard about this, a drug that boosts quirk performance. So uh, Kirishima tries to stop things in the alley uh, where they are so that nobody else can get hurt. And, but, uh, as he's distracted trying to direct traffic for the people behind him, the guy starts attacking him, shooting out additional spikes in order to attack Hiroshima. And, uh, the guy starts saying, he's like, oh, you talk about justice, just, just like my bro say, the age of the heroes, outcasts gonna rule, we're gonna help my bros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the more he mentions his bros, as far as he he's not, not, this guy doesn't even have a name yet. <laughs> I don't like him very much already, though. Uh, My name's but, Turtle! Like, I knew it. Of course it is. <laughs> My bros! My bros gave me that name! I kind of hope he doesn't have a name and, like, much of a character profile and stuff, because, like, I mean, just, like, the the idea that someone who is, like, this... um you know, like, unknown or unimportant can be this much of a, like, terrifying... I don't know if it's much of a threat, but, like, his power is super terrifying to the reader to, to read and to see and stuff for, for anyone, basically, to be that level of danger. Yeah, well, interesting. Yeah, sure. they note his power even, even is originally... Nobody, even a complete nobody can become a super tremendous threat with this horrifying drug. Yeah, his power was to create blades no longer than uh, 10 centimeters. So... Like, as he yeah. knows, it's nothing but a box cutter, essentially. He can extend box cutters for himself. One drug has immediately made him into something that could potentially be, like, a disaster in the city. Because it doesn't... It, they seem to just keep shooting out. He doesn't seem to have any control over it. And he's essentially then just a walking, like, projectile sword that just extends out indiscriminately <laughs> in different directions. I mean, even though somebody could take that out, like, the potential, like, civilian casualty that could come of it would be astronomical. And then you imagine somebody just has a slightly different power or something like that. That is like a pretty intimidating thought. Yeah. Especially since his blades get strong enough, as we find out, to just start piercing Kirishima then, whose whole power yeah, is like... Yeah, cracks and track cracks and he's either... I think he might be even bleeding a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he said he even though it's like, holy crap, he actually cut me. So... Uh, so Kirishima's in a bad situation, but he... As a flashback, remembering the advice that All Might gave him, forget all the parlor tricks, smash through like a bulldozer. 
But uh, he shared this with uh, you know some of his friends while they were hanging out in the dorms. And uh, so he's like, you know, I don't really have any fancy moves like you guys do. You know, you've got mid to long range attacks, and boosted mobility, and all that stuff. And uh, uh, <laughs> there's actually a weird little joke thrown in because, like, yeah, you've got all these great, great, great uh, tricks, except for Kaminari. And Kaminari's like, see if I ever <laughs> agree to charge your phone again. <laughs> Uh, so Kirishu's like, oh, everyone's go, you know, working their way towards being pro, and I'm just, I don't even know if I can, you know, keep up. And, uh, ba- Baku eventually says, like, well, you want to talk about keeping up. Hey, remember back when you were my unbreakable horse? Just like All Might at the end of Camino. Just being able to keep standing through anything makes you crazy strong. So, we cut back to the present, and Kirishima just focuses on hardening his ability, hardening his body, hardening his soul. Get harder until I'm a wall that'll never crumble. And uh, the guy's spikes go towards him and suddenly all just break and splinter off of them. And Hiroshima is thinking to himself, this is what I achieved during our, our train to strengthen my quirk. So now I'm at maximum hardness. I, I imagine there was there was a lot of yaoi uh, based on my <laughs> academy. Um, I mean, Bakugo basically taught him how to get hard. I mean, yeah, you don't Bakugo, have to do much to yeah. He just he just needed to remember uh, his his bros' uh, words in order to get hard. Uh, is what John um, John Bay's the one who edits the series? I think so. D- is there any point you feel like when he was editing this chapter there wasn't like snickering going on in the background <laughs> when it's just like maximum hardness must get harder, harder? Oh, it was it was really difficult to talk about it on the Shonen Jump podcast and not just like just like, describing the situation. It's like yeah, yeah, hard, hard, hard. <laughs> he's like, so, get harder, wait, harder. He moves here and he's having this guy's uh, this guy. He's jealous that this guy's even harder than him. While he's getting <laughs> these hard things thrust in his face and all over his body, uh, so then he realized he just needs to get even harder. And, uh, then he breaks the guy's hardness. And, uh. Well, that doesn't sound. I don't want to read a manga about breaking someone's hardness. <laughs> breaking hardness seems to be the name of a band immediately. <laughs> and this is something that, uh, came up on the Shonen Jump podcast. I think Annalisa brought it up, but, but the, uh, in the flashback, he's, he's such a little soft boy. He's such a, his hair, when it's thick. Yeah, his, his hair is not gelled up like it normally is. Yeah. Ooh. Such a little soft boy. He does look uh, surprisingly uh, fleshy and, and human in that moment. Uh, but I, I love that final panel of him he saying... He looks so okay. <laughs> it just looks so cool with, like, his body's hardened to that point where it's just, like, jagged spires up and across his skin. Like, his his hair's always kind of been like that, that, like, I guess because the hair gets hard as well, it just, be, like, that's his way of having, like, Super Saiyan hair, essentially. But now <laughs> it's even harder, like... There's something about the way uh, Horikoshi draws, like, spikes and jagged points that is so distinct. And it's just, it's like another power that exists to just take advantage of how well he draws that kind of visual. Like, it's it's like having yeah, this guy the, go against the blade guy, you know? But the more I look at his, uh, his like, hand that's all clawed up and has lots of contours and lots of interesting contours, I keep just thinking it looks like Death Mountain from Breath of the Wild. Which so. one? The Breath of the Wild? Zelda? Yeah, no, 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 I never, what's, what's Legend of Zelda? <laughs> well, it's about this guy named Zelda, and, <laughs> no, which, which, which character? Triforce Bre- Sword or something? 
Which character in Breath of the Wild, uh, though? The, the, uh, the, the Red Riot Breakable Mode. And he, like, his hand just looks like the, the contours of Death Mountain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing that now. I, I've been playing the game, like, I, almost I've, nonstop, so I see it everywhere. I've been playing a lot of it, too, and I'm still nowhere near completing it. I got sad today when I looked up how many shrines are in the game, and I've been playing this game a really long time, and I found out, oh, I'm not even halfway done getting all the shrines in this game. That's so, so depressing to me. <laughs> It's yep. like the it's like Riddler trophy hunting all over again. It's worse, man. There's so many of those, and to find all the fucking Koroks out there in the world. And I'll note this: I've been... that's, that's not even like you're not supposed to do that. Like to do that, you're basically you don't give me something to do, and then not expect me to do it. All right? <laughs> Have you seen what you get for getting all them? What the prize you get? What is it? Do you, what do you want to know? You yeah, know uh, yeah. I, well, yeah. Oh, go ahead. It's, it's a little poop thing. It's like, what? he gives you like a, a special Koroxy, which is a, a, it's like a poop emoji. And. What? It doesn't do anything or whatever. The, the little fat Macarena dude just gives me the poop emoji? <laughs> I don't know if I want I mean, this now. Pile of poop. Well, I'm not excited about this at I all. Mean, 900 or 700, whatever Korok seeds. You know, like hundreds of hours. You get a little poop. You know what? I, des- I deserve it though, because I'll tell you this. If you're a Korok in the, in the Breath of the Wild, and you made your decision to be hidden underneath the rock, it is your fate to have that rock immediately dropped on you right afterwards. It's just what happens. I'm sorry. I just, when I'm holding a rock and I pick it up and something happens, I immediately drop the rock and you are immediately underneath it. So you get a rock dropped on your face. And I don't care how many times you say, ow, I'm not spending the extra half second to turn first before dropping the rock before I drop it. All right. You should have decided to be a fucking lily pad ring in the water or I don't know, like a fucking, uh, the windmill flower thing. You shouldn't have been hidden under a rock. It's no, your, your the, the windmill ones are the worst. They're, they're little, uh, I spent like 50 plus arrows on one, just trying to hit the target. That was like way off in the distance. You had to get the perfect right angle. And oh, I found one somewhere. And sorry, we're just the Breath of the Wild podcast now, Nick. <laughs> There's one place I went to where I found a stump with a leaf on it, and I jumped on it, and a timer started going off. And I looked at the distance; there was a ring in the air, and I was like, "Nope, I'm not even. <laughs> I don't even care what this is. I'm not fucking racing. I'm not doing any of this. I've got shit to do. I'll find you later, or I won't. I'm sorry. You just you should have been." Everything else in this fucking game is, like, a one-action thing. I don't have time to go exploring in your fucking Superman ring race, all right? <laughs> That's a shit game. Anyway. <laughs> Breath of the Wild is not. It's an amazing game to play. No, I'm talking about Superman. I know. Oh, okay. I, I know. I'm just saying, Breath of the Wild isn't. And okay. the the Zor world is the best. That is the best place to go. So, good My Hero Academia chapter, guys? Yeah. Yes, very good yeah. My Hero Academia yeah. chapter. Yeah. Okay, okay. I'm very All excited right. to see Kirishima actually get this very cool moment. And as uh, was mentioned before, like just the fact that this drug can make somebody with this power as kind of uh, not lame, but a power as underwhelming as it suddenly becomes such a threat is a pretty good way to build up this drug, too. And I like seeing that the results of all these training arcs these characters have gone through in Class A are starting to actually have like relevance. Yeah. I'm also excited for like... I feel like the series hasn't touched on this theme since the very, since the, like, the first chapter of like what it's like to be quirkless in a quirkful world. And yeah. like, they, they brought up that theme and then we're like, oh, but he also got a quirk. So, so, you know, we don't need to deal with that anymore. And the, the introduction of people losing their powers, getting them enhanced. And I'm sure, I mean, I, I don't have much experience reading or, uh, you know, watching much X-Men lore. So I'm sure that the idea has been explored to death in there, but I'm curious to see how that, how, how they pull it off here and, because I think there's lots of interesting potential there. I think, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more of it, too, because it felt like that was going to be an aspect, too, of the uh, Plague Mask guy. I know he seems to have a quirk, mm. but they note that 
criminals like his family have disappeared because of the fact that quirks have kind of become their own thing. So I wonder if we're going to see more of that and even maybe explore it within this arc of criminals who were operating before and had quirks have come into the world. Maybe they don't have quirks that are superhero villain caliber, but just have that kind of mentality behind them and are trying to be kind of that old school kind of villain in a, a new world. There's a lot I think you can play with in that regard. You know, that'd be interesting in contrast to, to Deku's story. You know, instead of having this kid who's like, I want to be a hero so bad, if only I had a quirk, if it was instead like a Yakuza thug who was like, I want to rule the underworld so bad, but I don't have a quirk. It's <laughs> like a tour of people. Oh, my life sucks. Uh, you know, I would not be shocked that turns out to be what the Plague Max, uh, Plague Doctor mask guy is all about. Because again, mm. that was kind of what they introduced him as, and we kind of are starting to see that he, he has some sort of plan in place about taking people's quirks away. Maybe he can give them as well, and maybe he's giving yeah, himself maybe one. His, maybe his quirk isn't all that great uh, without taking blood injection stuff or whatever. Mm. Maybe that's why it's so uncontrollable, too. Remember, he just touched a yeah. bag, and Magna exploded. And have you seen with this guy, when you eject the drug, it really doesn't... It's like a small jump up, you go fucking extreme, so... Perhaps. Yeah, they didn't show us the, the panel afterwards. Like, like in... Uh... Promise Neverland, they're, you know, he's selectively choosing what panels show, like, right after he had, he blew him up, he was like, oh no, I just wanted to, like, pat you on the shoulder. He's Aww. like, oh, I thought you were, <laughs> I, I wanted to see your big magnet thing. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Let's uh, move on to Black Clover, page 105, two new stars. Guys, in the distance, did you just hear Annalisa screaming out Black Clover? <laughs> hey, you guess- should have, like, You should have a sound clip of her. I should. Guess who appears in this chapter, guys? Um, it's only the guy who's in the character introduction panels every fucking week. <laughs> Asta? You mean Asta? Junior? Well, yes. <laughs> Yami? Yami, right? Yeah, yeah, Yami's been into yeah. Well, Rebecca's not going to be in. She's well, not an important right. character next. No, no, Rebecca would never show up in this chapter. <laughs> Wait, so, so where, where did this, like, this Rebecca meme come from? So, one, <sighs> it, it, it was the chapter she came out in. I think Nick made some comment about, like, so another character's joined the, the Asta harem. And I was like, Nick, that's not yeah. going to happen. She's not <laughs> going to be, like, she's not going to stick around. Well, it's just, just one chapter well, thing. Well, ironically, like, Rebecca has shown up more, I think, than, uh, what's her face? The plant heel girl. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mimosa. Yeah, because it was legitimately Mimosa. starting to feel like it was going to be coming to harem because there was Mimosa and it was Noel. Noel, then Mimosa, and then Rebecca, like all in a row, suddenly yeah. you came out and like I, that they had feelings for Asta. And I stated, I was like, this is a one chapter kind of character. Rebecca is never going to be an important character. And then she proceeded to show up in the next chapter and be like a focal point of it. So. I've kind of had to like what like her little brother her little brother had been kidnapped in the group that yeah. uh Gosh's sister was in. So But I maintain yeah. Rebecca is never going to be an important character. It will not show no. up in relevant scenes cuz she's no. not important. So they're in the magic festival thing. It's time to announce the results of the star hunting for the different uh guilds. Um, we get a two-page uh, title picture of Asta and, you know, uh, sparring, I guess. Um, it's a pretty cool shot, honestly. I like the way that they're that uh, they're moving around each other. Um, so it seems as though Charlotte will not be attending the uh, ceremony uh, because uh, she is uh, drunk on one glass of beer. 
And uh, Yami is also kind of distracted. So, uh, yeah. Doesn't seem important. I mean, there's like, oh, yeah, they're in here, whatever. So the Wizard King comes out on stage, trying to make an announcement for uh, how the brigades have been doing, calls forward the captains of the nine brigades. Uh, so, you know, there's you know, the characters that we've seen before by, by this point, and also the new captains for the Crimson Lion and uh, Purple Orcas. And they're like, oh, the Crimson Lion captain is a woman? It's a woman! <laughs> You know, there's a weird thing that kind of exists in some of these, um, these sorts of series where, and maybe I'm just, uh, alright, so DC has that show right now, Supergirl. And the first couple episodes of it put really fucking, they push so hard on the idea that no one's gonna take her seriously because she's a woman to the point where I was just like, I feel like nobody has a problem with Supergirl's gender except for the writers. Of Supergirl, who just had to like put into like, no, nobody can understand. I'm like, it's fine. Well, that's my thing here. I'm like, I guess maybe like there's just a notion of misogyny within this, like, within the kingdoms. They're just people who are just like, a woman as the leader of that. I'm like, aren't there like three women already who are magic, like, captain commanders? That's that's the thing about it that gets me. It's like, but freaking Charlotte, but that. It's like all women in the guild. <laughs> Just like, whoa, 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 whoa. They're letting ladies into the be magic captains now. I was like, well, I mean, I guess if you want to be specific about it, they're letting the third woman be a captain in the magic court guard. <laughs> it's unprecedented. It's the first third woman to be the magic captain. Maybe there's never been a female leader of the Crimson Lion specifically, but still, it's just like, uh, come on, guys. It's <laughs> but is that would that only be worth really noting then, unless like the Crimson Lions have been like deliberately holding women down or something like that? <laughs> like it seems weird to point that out. Like this is the first. Wow, Leon that... was a bigger prick than we knew. <laughs> it was just like it's about passion and hope, and never letting the women get over on you. Keep your privilege as long as you can. Now take the red pill. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're crimson, so the fire ones they they that's what they had. Red pills totally. Yeah, that's what they take. Gotta <laughs> keep up that gender dynamic that the lions embodied so well. Well in the in lion packs, uh the women do all the hunting Shut up <laughs> We just wanna be able to do the thing where we have sex with all the women. <laughs> anyway. Um you yeah. know what? It, it's weird. If they didn't tell me I was a woman, I wouldn't even know because if which like, of them was which? <laughs> well, it's like it's like an androgynous of an appearance. I feel like I could go either way. And there's like part of the shirt that feels open, and I don't know why. Maybe it's just like the perspective of this one shot. It looks like that's like a bare chest, and those are like pecs instead of breasts. So I was like, oh, it's another dude who's leading the the Crimson Lions at this point. I thought that was fucking Fiego Leon's little brother. You just had a big fucking like a uh, height. Spike or something like that. I'm just saying, honestly, I can't. I can't look at this group shot without my eyes just naturally being drawn to the new purple orcas guy. Oh my most <laughs> okay, so, so I couldn't. I couldn't remember who was new and who was old. I was like, has that guy been there before? Like he's no. Remember the last. The last one was evil and got dropped into a painting or something. <laughs> something so, ridiculously creepy. <laughs> so apparently, it's like a condition in the purple orcas that you just have to have stupid facial hair. Like that's their thing. They're like, you can join us if you have really bad facial hair, which is weird considering he's right next to somebody whose head has been electrocuted and just no one has told him. 
I'm like, is that like a a bird's nest or something? Like, or like they're wearing one of those like fuzzy afros and just like just not give it a fuck. Just, I mean, that face seems to indicate it. You know, like just that mm. not give it a fuck kind of attitude. I think there's there's probably like a general like condition to join every team. Like black bulls, you had kind of have to be a reject. Uh, purple orchids, you gotta have stupid facial hair. Uh, blue roses or blue whatever they are, you have to be a woman. Uh, golden dawn, you have to have the potential to turn evil because we're a totally good <laughs> guild, but hey, we might be a little evil. And like uh, the 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 golden or silver eagles, it's like hey, be a little snob. And then uh, you know, Viego Leon's group, it's like uh, I don't know. Rare red or something like that. It resolved. Like even every group needs its own thing to fit into. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, Maybe. I'm not sure if what what kind of color art we've seen of them, but I just I picture them all as having red hair. I assume she has red hair too. That would be nice. Have, have they? I'm trying to think if they ever did color pages with Diego Leon in it. I'm sure they have at some point. This is where Annalise would come yeah. in and she'd be like, oh, "I can tell you all the scenes." <laughs> Actually, Fiego right. Leon's little brother has purple hair. So cute. <laughs> He's the best boy. So, so I have a question for you guys who are much more experienced with uh, like all sorts of different manga. The only the only uh, comparison I really have is One Piece with like introducing a whole bunch of characters like this, including ones that we've mm-hmm. seen before and new ones. And I, I mean, I, I find those those great in One Piece. Like there was the recent one with the 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 underworld people coming yeah, to tea party. Right. And I think those are all new characters. Like, there are oftentimes in One Piece where they're returning characters and it kind of reminds people who don't remember who they are and, like, hypes it. And this one, I'm just like, I don't know how to feel from this because I'm like, I'm not sure who's new, who's old. Well, and I'm, I'm curious, like, is, is this, like, the standard way in most shonen manga to introduce a, a Yeah, group? I mean, this, or, is, this has been done in several ways. Like, um, in Bleach, when we first got introduced to the entire captains of the Gotai 13, we had met a couple of the captains prior to that point. And then we got introduced mm. to them slowly there and after. For the Black Clover, it's a little bit different because we have seen a couple of the captains in work. Like we've seen the the guy there on the far left, the guy with the uh, the slicked out face and everything like that, the praying mantis dude. We have seen William Vengeance. We have seen Noel's brother. Um, it's just sort of little girl there. We saw her uh, her magic, like the painting magic. And I don't recall if the guy on the far right we've seen do anything. So it's essentially the, like those ones we all know, and then the two new characters who are kind of right. like fresh to us. It's cool to have that, but we haven't. I feel like we haven't quite gotten to that point in Black Clover where the other squads kind of matter. It feels like right. whenever they show up, they're sort of just like supplementary additions to the Black Cool, the Black Bulls for whatever arc they're in. Yeah, like, I, don't, I, feel we, like, I feel we haven't seen much of the dynamics. Like, like when you get them like title cards, it makes them feel really. Like, I feel like the dynamic instead is like, I'm so excited for when we get more development of these characters. And without that, you're just like, okay. I mean, I don't know who these people are yet, but eh. Cause I, I mean, know. we kind of joked about it, but we don't really know much of the dynamics of how these different groups work. Like, we don't really know how the Crimson Lions handle themselves. We don't really know how the Purple Orcas operate. We just kind of, we have a little bit of an idea of how the Golden Dawn is. And, and the Silver Eagles, too. And the Silver Eagle, we just have a little bit of kind of a, an inflection on. But for the rest of these groups, they're kind of just a name, like a, a group name and a captain. And maybe one other aspect, and that's about it. And an animal. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, you you mentioned the, the title cards thing. We got that when all the captains were first introduced. Hmm. 
but this is a bit of a different case because it's reintroducing, you know, a bunch of characters that we had seen before and two new ones. And I think that what they're, tr- what the Tabata is trying to do with this is keep us in the dark regarding the new characters for a little while, put us in the kind of position of the audience who are like, oh, wow, there's the, there's the captives. I wonder who, what their deal is. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. You get so. the same perspective as them. Yeah. I think maybe what kind of hurts us a little bit is we still don't really have like a threat worthy of having these different characters around. I don't know what are you talking about, Chris? The Diamond Kingdom. Well, I was gonna say, man, why didn't the Black Bulls just use mind control to make sure that they were the first rank of all the things? I mean, mind control is just a morally uh, justifiable act. So I mean, it'd for be everything. Nice <laughs> but like, like with the Midnight Sun, there's only one of those dudes left, and we've kind of seen that Captain level characters could fight on equal grounds with them. So it's it's one of those things where it's. It's tough to be like, man, all these guys are around. I wonder what they're going to do. And it's like, I almost kind of just have to expect this to be like the Gotai 13, where half of the drama comes from like infighting between them or something like that at some point. Hmm. Uh, so they announced the results of the competition, uh, starting with the first place being the Golden Dawn. And we get a little bit of, uh, because they actually put up the accomplishments that for which they earned all of their, uh, stars. He was like, Oh, they, they, the Spade Kingdom attacked and they repelled them. The Diamond Kingdom attacked and they repelled them. Spade Kingdom officers defeated. So it seems as though they've been at war with two countries uh, a fair amount. A Heart Kingdom, I, I assume, is just like the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland, <laughs> just like goofing around, not really actually trying to do anything the whole time. I mean, I, I assume the Spade Kingdom is just people like, I mean, I know it's a reference to the card, the right. what are called? Suits. 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 Yes. Yeah. Anyways, and, but I assume they're just like holding shovels. There's like digging stuff around. They feed people with shovels and. Oh, I hope they're cats. Hey, stop stuff. digging with those shovels over there. They're spades. <laughs> Don't appropriate our culture. Call a spade a spade. Jeez, there's a phrase for that. Uh, some people mentioned that this that they had 125 stars, which is up from their record the previous year of 96, and uh, the Wizard King gives special mention to the greatest contributor. That uh, helped to make that star record possible. The rising newcomer, who is attended by Sylph the Wind Spirit, you know. And there, are, all the girls are like, "Oh my God, he's so wonderful!" And Charmy's like, "Oh no, shit, I won't Nom nom nom, my prince. Nom nom nom. Um, and then we see Mimosa and what's his face, the guy with glasses. Was it Hans or something like that? I thought we just called him the guy who's previously dude, and you just gave him a douchebag yeah. voice. But he's he's doing this like a super awkward moment too. It's like I drew this character with glasses. He must perpetually adjust the glasses. Remember but that was, was like a cool character trait for Captain Kuro in One Piece, like how he had a weird way of pushing up his glasses, and they gave him a very specific like reasoning for it is because he was used to doing it with his claws, so he needed a way to do it without hurting himself. Right. Like with this guy, I hope they give it like a reason for him to fucking like push his glasses up by doing it like. <laughs> Also, get, he, has, he doesn't just have normal glasses. He has the asshole glasses, the the long rectangular ones. Whenever you, yeah. yeah, it's that particular kind of glasses. They are very indicative of uh, douchey quality to it, right? Yeah, no, he was a douchebag when he first showed up. Is the only one douchier? Is it the like the super like uh, black rim like hipster glasses? Are those the only ones that have kind of surpassed that? Like the ones that used to be like the stereotypical nerd ones, but now people wear them to be oh, like yeah. cheeky hipster, like with a very evident like giant frames. Wait, these glass these glasses have 
on them. That doesn't... When, like, one of the major kingdoms you're fighting are the Diamond Kingdom, you maybe shouldn't have... Oh, that's true. He's a spy! Kill him! <laughs> um, we see that some members of the Golden Dawn aren't so happy with, uh, you know, get, being given so much praise. Um, and, uh, then we cut to some people in the crowd who are like, oh, who's gonna be in second place? Maybe it'll be the Crimson Lion again. Nah, the captain was injured, it won't be them. Meanwhile, uh, Finral is trying to hit on a girl. He's like, hey, we should go enjoy the festival together. I was no, you're a black belt. You're gross. Bad. <laughs> and, uh, they're like, oh, it'll be the Silver Eagles. That'll be the Burroughs Knights. And then the Wizard King announces, no, nah, it's, it's Black Bulls. And everyone around the entire festival is, complete, is completely shocked by this. Seemingly the only people who aren't actually shocked are, uh, Kiato and Kahono, who are just happy. But, you know, Noel is. <laughs> Noel is shocked. Charmy is shocked. A, a mushroom pops out of Charmy's head because, um, I, I guess that's still a thing that's going on with her. <laughs> she was so excited about that. I love fucking Magnus Swing's eyes pop so much, his glasses <laughs> just shatter. <laughs> and I think my favorite reaction is just, uh, uh, Nozelle, who just like, it's, it's, he's got that stupid fucking hair dangle in front of his face. And just seeing him that shock, like, that, 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 the hairstyle only works when he has, like, a level of, like, persistence douchebaggery in his face. And when it's the moment when he's just shocked, just, you realize how stupid his face looks. <laughs> like, he just immediately is like, I can't believe this. And I immediately regret my fashion decisions. I also like the guy, uh, I forget the name of the two, the two people, the, uh, the singer and dancer guy and girl. But to the immediate, immediate right of, to me to the immediate right of them, there's just like a random villager who's just like, like oh my god, the world's falling, we're all gonna die. How <laughs> <laughs> could this happen? <laughs> um. So the Black Bulls got 101 stars in order to take second place, which actually also beat the uh, Golden Dawn's record from the previous year. Um. Asta, his eyes go shiny because, well, of course they do. Um. Yami is like, what, seriously? Crap. Like, how did you not know? <laughs> you got, how did any of you not, not know how many stars you got? Like, y- you have them posted in your base. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, immediately some people are like, they must have mistake. They must have cheated in order to get second place. <laughs> But, uh, a little girl that, uh, the Black Bulls saved from way back. I actually, I can't remember when this was. I think it was their first encounter with the Diamond Kingdom that this happened, that they saved her. And then Rebecca is there and she's like, yeah, the Black Bulls are, are, are great. They've got rowdy pe- members, but they're kind people deep down. And as if the how, series, do, how do we know it's Rebecca? I mean, that could be anybody. As if the series realized that nobody would remember Rebecca because as, she's never going to be an important character. There is a little... As if she has stuck it to her own head like a tag. <laughs> There's a little a little caption that reads, Rebecca, here for work. And that was all the... The little girl doesn't get this. <laughs> Rebecca does, though. You wouldn't remember the little girl, Nick. You had to stop and be like, Rebecca, who's that? Doesn't sound like an important character to me. <laughs> and I like that they've done so much, but, like, I guess those are the only two people who could actually be there to, like, verify them. I mean, despite the fact that Kyoto and Kono are right there, it could also be like, they saved an entire city underwater. 
But like those the like two the people. Like the Lost City of Atlantis, they found that, yeah. But to be two, like the two people in there are just like, they, like there's two verifications come out and the rest of the town's like, oh, this is a president. Oh, people are saying the little girl's a noble. When I say people, I mean Annalise. Annalise generally just corrects us <laughs> in the chat room the entire time. So anyway, then a dragon pops out. <laughs> um, the wizard king, uh, is like, yeah, I, I, okay guys, I know that they earned like negative 50 stars last year, but no, they, they really, they, they really turned things around. Things have been great. Actually, the most impressive guy was this new member. Is anyone from the Black Bulls here? What, what the fuck guys? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, uh, Magna and, uh, Luck are happy about this, and they're like, ah, well, we should let that guy take the stage. And Noel's like, where is he? He should take the stage. And Yami is like, all right, kid, he's calling for you. Picks up Asta by his vest and just fucking throws him at the stage. <laughs> because why not? Uh, Asta takes out his cleaver and lands on it, which I guess breaks his fall. Because that's how swords work. Um, I mean, and, gravity uh, magic, and he's, you know, resisting uh, gravity magic. Gravity's magic in this world. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> um, and so yeah, Asta and uh, you know are now looking at each other for almost the ends of this of the stage. That's the end of the chapter. Um. It was, it was a pretty decent chapter. Uh, I, 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 I quite liked it overall, I think. I wish the Purple Orcas had been second. <laughs> and, like, their only list of accomplishments. Who's gonna be in second place? The Purple Orcas. Oh. They're like. Okay then. <laughs> they got, they got like a whole bunch of stars for didn't have a second captain turn out to be evil. They're like, that's all you needed. <laughs> you get a gold star. Wait, those actually count. <laughs> uh. You know, I, I, I do enjoy it. It's still that thing that the Black Bulls have that I always really kind of, like, wished Fairy Tale went back to when it's, like, there's supposed to be the notion of being the Black Sheep Guild that, like, are too destructive or just irresponsible in their tendencies, but it never shows. Um, Adelaide has been kind of uh, championed it for a while now. Where they, the notion is that the Black Bulls have been kind of just phoning it in for a while and that since Asta's come in, they've all kind of taken it up a notch and that's why it's kind of going on like this. So it fits for them to have this accomplishment at the very least, they didn't win. You know, they were second place. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, Slytherin gets the title for another year. We're going to hang their <laughs> banners up around the, the Great Hall again. Uh, so there Oh, no, hang on. Uh, Dumbledore here. All right. Uh, uh you know. Charming guy. Up to his fr- we're starting up to his friends. <laughs> Never long by the mum's dead boys. And fuck you, Slytherin. Dumbledore out here. <laughs> <laughs> and I like dudes. Like, uh, that's a weird thing to throw on at the end of that. <laughs> that was completely unnecessary. I, I don't think that that was the, uh, crucial to your story at all, actually. <laughs> um, I, 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 that all works. It's still just that weird part at the end where it's like, uh, I asked him, you know, I'm meeting face to face. It's like, I just, I can't care. In my mind, you know, responds to him like a robot, like, query, analyzing, Asta, designation, main rival, burp, burp, Best friend. processing, it will be honor to defeat you, <laughs> friend, quote unquote, shake hand now. Like, there's just no personality to this dude. Resume function, stare up, Sylph's skirt, awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
I was waiting for that. I really, I'm just, I'm hoping there's like a, uh, something we get out of this that shows, you know, has developed some kind of personality. <laughs> Like, like he magically obtained one at some point. Maybe there's a reward for Divine Dungeon. That's the second familiar that he got. <laughs> like, Jimmy, <laughs> like Jiminy Cricket pops out. I'm his conscious. <laughs> I'm his personality. Now you know. You could just say something generic like "You're my best friend," or you could say something that people would remember. He's like, "You're a shithead, ass." He's like, oh, "What? Well, that's kind well, of a bit." You know, you're getting closer. <laughs> Turns out that this Jiminy is also a shithead. He's like, hey, Soph, I think that you should just, like, lift your skirt up for you. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, he should be a Yako. <laughs> He's just like, do it for yourself. Don't worry about anyone else. Ya-da-ta-ta-ta. Who needs women anyway? <laughs> you can buy love. Don't let them tell you otherwise. All ghost rates are time. negotiable. And enough gold stars and women will throw themselves at you. Who needs to ride when you're great? <laughs> I'm so lost. I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> what pit are we even in? <laughs> I'm wondering, Nick, did we do this joke before the episode was, started? <laughs> we did this joke bef- before Jeff got here. Well, <laughs> it, it was on the show, at least. Yeah, there was... Um, okay. We found out that Iago had theme songs in The Return to Jafar, and they're all just very self-indulgent, like, who needs uh, friends when you're Iago? <laughs> all right. Do we have anything else to yeah. say about Black Clover? Uh, okay. Speaking of Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> yeah, a perfect transition. Anyway, all those bodies washed up on shore. Oh, no longer the progressive doc. Oh, well. <laughs> wait, wait, actual side have you guys Have you guys seen Cyber Chase? No. Do you know what it is? I don't even know what that is. No. no. It's a PBS uh, show meant to teach kids math. It stars Gilbert Godfrey. Wow. Oh. All right. <laughs> my As a like, like, little bird that like accompanies them. Wait, no. Wait, they, 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 went with the, they went with the bird. Like, how would... That's got to be the weirdest fucking kid's voice character ever. Like, the kids... Like, because there's such a, like, a, a standard voice for, like, a kid's show character. It's like... Hey there, guys. My name's Alfred, and I'm gonna be your magical journey. Like, <laughs> then the next show comes on. Hello there, kids. It's me, Gilbert Gottfried. I'm gonna make you a one plus one equals the aristocrats. <laughs> one plus one is. What do you mean I can't make a Holocaust joke on this kid show? <laughs> now let me reference some very obscure 1940s Broadway actors. Ooh. I was having lunch with Buster Keaton at some point the other day. <laughs> oh, I can't do Gilbert Godfrey too much or I get like oh, Jesus. I, I, I love that Gilbert Godfrey has a podcast and it's most, <laughs> it's mostly just about like various like old fucking Hollywood characters and things like that. But he, he like, has to update it and have, like, actors and things like that of today on. So uh, I don't know if you two have ever heard of the show Impractical Jokers, but it's, like, a it's like a vaguely prank show that exists right now, and it's, it's like, popular. So he has two of the guys on from that, and he's, like, they've met him, but he's clearly forgotten them. And the best part of it is 
even though they've had like two interactions with him, they still had a story about Gilbert Gottfried being a shithead to them at some point. <laughs> He's gonna be like, Yeah, remember that time you got in a taxi with us and you just refused to pay for it at all? Like we were we were all sharing a taxi to some point and you just refused to pay any money. He's like, That does sound like me Ah, <laughs> uh, Good Nick. <laughs> all right. Okay. I think I'm okay to finish now. <laughs> we need to get you like an air mask for every time you do Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> like you're climbing well, first, up Everest. Uh, the, that's, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> considering how many times that we've done podcasts and I haven't gotten lightheaded and I, the last time I can remember was when you did Crispin Wadjos. <laughs> must have been a while ago. It was a long time ago. All right. I'm sure I've done it since then, but that's the last time I can remember. Okay, so we don't have One Piece this week, but uh, a new series was picked up for Weekly Shonen Jump, and we've got two chapters of that to go over that were included in this week's English edition of Shonen Jump, which is Dr. Stone, which yes! we're very happy yes! to see yes! added. Yes! We were advocating <laughs> Dr. Stone to be picked up, and Chris has turned into Daniel Bryan circa 2014 now. <laughs> That's all I can do is wrestling references now. <laughs> Uh, so we've got two chapters of this to go through. Um, I'll try and kind of summarize these a little bit, because it would be weird for us to have a discussion on one and then have a discussion on the other. And they so, do, they uh, are actually very relevant together, too. These are kind of right. almost that need to be discussed with one another. They do very much go together, uh, in one sequence. Uh, one of these is about, uh, Tenku, uh, Tenku, it's Tenku and Senku, right? Uh, it's right. Sen- it's Sen- Taiju? Yeah, Taiju and Senku. Taiju, you're right. Damn. All right. So, um, they had recently freed uh, Tetsuo, right? That's the name, right? Uh, no, it's uh, Shishio. Sukasa Shishio. Sukasa, Sukasa is his name. Right. Anyway. So, so. Nick's Tetsuo, like, so this, then... this, this series is called Dr. Bone, right? Like, no, why are you, what are you making these up from? <laughs> They're in the past, right? <laughs> Walt Disney wrote this, didn't he? Nick, what are you? <laughs> are you so, Tetsuo, um, they freed him and he's fucking amazing. And he's like, I will cut this, the flesh from this lion so that we can make clothing from it. And also we will eat it and preserve all of it. I will show my gratitude to the cycle of life. And Senku's like, this guy's amazing. Or, God, I'm getting them confused now. Taiju is like, this guy's amazing. See, Senku, he's not evil at all. Um, and, oh man, Chris, Senku says, ah, we should hope so. But I couldn't care one millimeter about gratitude to him. <laughs> He just oh my god! <laughs> what if he just kills a dude then, Nick? <laughs> just sinks him into the dead so Yuda don't give one millimeter of a fuck. <laughs> I do like that notion of he's just like, hey, like, I know that he seems reliable, but what if he does turn into, like, a super powerful crazy tyrant? Like, we ain't got <laughs> shit right now. Um, so... Shishio I, I, fashions clothing from the lion, and he looks even more badass now. <laughs> I mean, this, this felt like a, this felt like the most intense roller coaster Shonen Jump has ever had because, because you're like, great, he's totally naked. Oh no, he's getting clothes. No, he's gonna be fully clothed all the time. And then he, then like next next page, he's still just naked in the water. So you know, he can still be naked even if he has clothes. Yeah, this 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 is the most like 
female or like uh, male fan service that's kind of been out there in Jump. Like it happens every so often in uh, Shokugeki no Soma. But this has been like outright. You're like, man, we haven't seen a naked woman in forever. And it's just like <laughs> it's just like three dudes' cocks barely not in panel. <laughs> All right. Um. So Shisho, you know, and and the others get to get to know each other. Uh, Taiju drops off Yuzuriha's statue at their at their home base. Um, Shisho uh, introduces himself and. Taiju is like, I'm the weak-minded Taiju. Nice to meet you. I leave all the thinking to Senku. I fucking love how stupid this guy is. <laughs> I immediately, just from the bit that they have going on a little bit further, when uh, Senku keeps asking him questions, like, what's the most important thing for a civilization? And Taiju's like, smartphones! And, like, Senku has to humor him first, like, that'd be nice, I'd kill for a smartphone. You fucking idiot! <laughs> There's a thousand times more things that would be more useful before smartphones. And I'm really like, holy shit, it's like Ice Shield 21 flashbacks all over again when just all the stupid characters have to react to Haruma and he just has high expectations and is still constantly flabbergasted by their levels of idiocy. Kuroki, Taimonji, Taki, Senna, Monta... All of them are substituted by Taichu in this series. <laughs> just that reaction of just him having to constantly be stunned by their levels of stupidity. Oh, you idiot! And like how even uh, Sukasa has to then be like the straight man who's just like silently baffled by it all. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! So <laughs> and, and <laughs> freaking uh, say. Seku's like, oh my god, you've even made the Lily White Tsukasa several shades paler with your stupidity. <laughs> um, and Shishu is like, is it iron? And uh, it's uh, not, not quite. So shows that Shishio is, at, at the very least, he, he's at the very least of average intelligence. He, he, Probably he, a little bit smarter. He, he, to put this in the 21 raid, Nick, which is what I'm going to have to do forever with the series, he's like the Jumanji. <laughs> he's like he's Jumanji not, level he's, intelligence. He's not the smartest, but you can tell he's above average. He has right. an idea of what's going on. Yeah. He's, he would have a future ahead of him if he really applied himself, but instead he's a fighting delinquent. Oh, but then his dad gets to show up at one of the games and they have a heartwarming moment with his You, dad, you actually know damn well he shatters his dad. <laughs> so... Uh, Senko says that, uh, you know, yeah, we need carbon, calcium carbonate, uh, for this in order to fashion a whole bunch of different things. I mean, uh, this is, this is a pretty standard trope in Shonen manga, I think, especially Shonen Jump. I mean, calcium carbonate is, I mean, it's getting pretty cliche at this point. It's like friendship, effort, calcium <laughs> carbonate. They're like, uh, what do you do? What, how are you, what, what is it that exactly? And he says, like, oh, you know, it's the stuff that they use to draw white lines on sporting grounds. And Senku's like, ah, so in order to get some hands around this calcium thingy, we should look for a gym equipment shed. Ah, oh, yeah, you're totally right. No, they're gone! <laughs> I love he has the exact same, but just in more exaggerated. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see Sukasa's face is getting even sadder Same in the background. <laughs> like, his perception of this guy is somehow getting even lower that quickly. So, uh, they go over, like, okay, we need to grind up these clamshells, and, uh, and, ty- and, uh, Seiko's like, yeah, okay, I'll do this, smash them with a mallet, so he's grinding them up, uh, but it, he goes over uh, various different things that they have to do. We'll, you know, mix this in with mortar, uh, that's the predecessor to some men, which we can use to, you know, fortify our surroundings, we can use it for soap, we can use it for agriculture, 
It is a life-preserving stone in place of a doctor. Doctor Stone. So yeah, the title giving substance, the the thing that everything is based around is like a legit chemical compound. Here's the thing, Nick. This way, by putting it in here, we know what this is. It can't be possibly as disappointing as meeting who the real iShell 21 is (laughs) and being like, wait, it's this dude? I would have totally gone for the guy with Bondo, honestly. Uh, yeah, you should, yeah, you should have just said it was him, the rock star guy. That would have worked. Uh, I mean, at least he had a, at least he had a gimmick I'd get into. I mean, the, the way you recapped that, actually... <laughs> made metaphors that made no sense. <laughs> what were we saying, Joe? The way you recapped it, think of it differently. Like I was like, oh yeah, it's it's soap, but like, uh, you know, it could the the wording's a little bit strange, but it could mean that like calcium carbonate and all of its uses are the Doctor Stone. But I mean, the picture is just is just showing the soap, so yeah. it would yeah. make more sense if it's like if it's all four of these uses, especially since the fourth one hasn't been revealed. And it's kind of like a it's like you know the biggest mystery that the series has given us to this point, at yeah. least. But um, but if it's just soap, I mean, I well, mean, <laughs> it, like we get a tail drop in it, but it's one of those like double like right, right. term meetings because it still has to relate to the fact that this is a stone world that exists that term's always gonna be and senku himself is kind of the doctor of that world so even though it's the title drop i feel like we're eventually going to realize it goes much beyond that and it's going to be about senku kind of leading this stone world as it is right it could just be a title drop that's like a little wink and a nod and it's not meant to actually be like relevant to the yeah. story as long as it's not distracting i'm fine with it i got through that with i frankenstein i can't do it again that shit was unbearable Someone tell, someone asked me what it was like and I can explain the whole story for you. Oh, you're not no. going to. You're all rude no. dickheads. <laughs> no. No, I don't want to. Fine. Want to know, honestly. I'm just sit over here eating apple rudely and sadly. Anyway, Senku, uh, says. It tastes good. That there are four uses for the, uh, calcium carbonate and he goes over like, oh yeah, we can use it for agriculture. We can use it for mortar. We can use it for soap. Uh, Shishio, uh, gets, uh, suddenly asks him a question, you know, saying, he's like, hey, you know, you, you, you're, or he doesn't ask him a question, he just says, you're really incredible, you know, you have this great analytical mind, you've got all this stuff going on, you have my deepest respect. And Senku says, a man who prays another man to his face is either flirting or scheming. Here's where the manga really splits. You have two timelines. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, then we get one, even one, more Naked Man. <laughs> <laughs> one is the series we already are reading. The other one is one Annalise is dreaming about right now. One, The other one Annalise is going to buy the next time she's in Japan. Well, no, on Jones' podcast, she admitted that, like, she doesn't find these, these guys attractive because it's got their personality. What? I'm just like, what? You can't let your personality affect the... That dude's butt is in, like, seven shots. Who cares if he has a personality at this point, all right? That's a fucking well, sculpted... Totally you could bounce totally a corner off that ass! Shishio's is, she, she an asshole. Uh, Senku is a holier-than-thou dick. Uh, and, uh, well, Taichu's in love with the uh, Yuzuriha, so, you know. They ain't hot. I, you know, I don't know what <laughs> I... It's just that notion where it's like, as a dude, I feel like I know what would be hot for dudes, but clearly that's not the case, and that's why most women don't sexually fantasize about Liam Neeson nearly as much as I assume they would. <laughs> it's that notion where somebody's like, oh, uh, fucking Ryan Gosling's a hot, like, the pinnacle of hotness. I'm like, really? He's, all right, whatever. 
So it's, a, it's not Louis C.K. I mean, he's so funny. <laughs> don't don't most women like go crazy about Dave Chappelle and other comedians? So she shows like, hey, you know, come on, you know, I'm not I'm not playing anything here. I'm just saying, you know, I'm I'm sure that you'll be able to recreate modern society and, and civilization. And so Senku kind of stares at him a bit, and then Taiju's like, hey, Senku, what's the fourth use of calcium carbonate? And Senku's like. Oh, there's just three uses. What are you talking about? And uh so they go gather around and gather more stuff. I didn't quite get if this was supposed to be a joke or this was meant to be intentional. Because it's split immediately by Senku kind of realizing that uh Tsukasa might actually still be kind of evil. So I'm wondering if him being like, no, there's just three. Didn't I say just three? Might be him saying there's a fourth use for it, and he's hiding that from Sukasa. Because even though we've acknowledged yeah. Sukasa's intelligent, he's not as intelligent yeah. as uh, Senku is. Yeah, that's what he's doing. Okay, I didn't quite get if that was what was supposed to be going on, or if that was meant to just be a gag. Well, he says four earlier on. He says that there's four uses, and then he names three, and then he doesn't. Yeah, I just I didn't note if it was a joke on the creator's part that he was like, "Did I say four? No, I just meant three. Yeah, like, it's hard to tell the sense of humor of this monk. It's like, it could be a gag that he's, like, so sure of himself, and then he's like, no, no, you're silly. Like, yeah. That, that could totally be a gag. I, I, at this point, I... His face isn't nearly goofy it. enough in order for it to be that. <laughs> it would, it, it, there would be a panel of him realizing he misspoke, and then... Nah. Mm. You're wrong, Chris. <laughs> oh. Sorry. <laughs> I'm drawing a lie in the sand on this one. <laughs> All right, fine. I just, I'm saying the bubbles came up from the ground. That's what, that's what I said. We can't get into this again. We can't. We can't yeah, do it again. <laughs> you can't go back and change history, because we've got the recording. Anyway, so Shishio starts to monologue while he's fishing in the water. He's like, oh, this stone world of ours is so free. Like these shells, they never belong to anyone. Not the sea, not the land. Long ago, there was a poor... Bo- oh, but okay, anyway. <laughs> But there was a poor boy. He wanted to make a necklace of shells for his ailing sister. The sister loved tales of mermaid princesses, you see. One day, a middle-aged man appeared before him. A man with a so-called fishing license about the same age as this stone man here. He reeked of booze. According to the man, collecting those seashells amounted to stealing. The boy was beaten to the point of disfigurement. In the end, the boy was never able to make his little sister a mermaid princess. And he shatters the statue of the middle-aged man in front of him, just that guy's dead now. <laughs> oh no, I just I didn't notice it when I read it myself, but oh no, so-called fishing license. Oh, that's too many uh, so-called judge flashbacks. So Senka's like, "Hey, Sagasa, you uh, just killed a guy, you know." <laughs> it says it very calmly too. <laughs> um, and Sagasa's like, "Ah, I but I, I know what very well I've done, but your plan to save everyone." Will you really save every black-hearted adult? No doubt they'll be grateful at first, but once civilization's up and running, they'll say, that's my land. Pay me rent and taxes. The poor and weak will be victimized all over again. This stone world, it shall be a, it is a paradise yet undefiled. We should only revive the pure-hearted youth. We'll live among nature where no one can lay claim to anything. This is our chance to purify the human race. Don't you agree? And Senku is immediately like, no, not one millimeter. 
I'm excited for mechas and space travel <laughs> and Doraemon. Everything a technology-loving guy could want. And I'm going to use the power of science to save every last person without exception. For the sake of Doraemon. Do you, do you think he's, like, excited for, like, Doraemon to become a reality or for the actual property Doraemon? Yeah, he's like, we can, what if you kill the guy who owns Doraemon? <laughs> <laughs> we can still revive it. It's still possible. <laughs> All the DVDs will have worn down by now. What are we going to do? How are we going to watch this shit? We got to save all of the animators. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this great uh, panel of Tsukasa glaring at at uh, Senku for what he said. As uh, he kind of realizes, well, this is where our paths part, kind of. And Senku comes to a conclusion on his own as well. He's like, well, shit, this guy's this guy's bad news. Um... So, yeah, all right, what are we going to do here? Species's uh, you know eyes are, like, totally straight. He's totally un- unmoving, like a brick wall, and then... My camera is in Senku. Senku's tilted to yeah. the side because he's like, Shit, how are we going to handle this? Well, I've done it now. Well, yeah. we see, even, like, the moment uh, Sukasa kind of turns around and he's just, like, he leaves the conversation that way, we see Senku, like, like panting, like, doubled over, being like, holy shit, this guy is bad news. Like, it really kind of goes to show that sort of level of terror that this guy was able to kind of impose in just a few moments when mm-hmm. Senku, who otherwise has seemed to be, like, the guy who has control over the situation, is just like, shit, this is a really bad thing that's happening now. Yep. Uh, so Senku concludes, all right, I can't have him figure out uh, the form, the revival for- fluid formula, so I'll have to, you know, the cave, the miracle fluid, I'll keep it hidden from Tsukasa or die trying. And of course, Taiju comes like, "Hi, Senku Sakasa! I've got miracle food from the castle. We can save you, Zarina." <laughs> it's almost as though he had every line prepared to be like, "I found the miracle fluid in the cave that we leave in a bucket that we all leave in there, right there, over in back. You just go forty-five minutes up that way. It's a cave. It's labeled laboratory." I fucking love the picture of Senku reacting to. T- <laughs> why? It's almost as though he's just saying, like, why? <laughs> so I just like, I've got no idea what's going on. <laughs> so, um, a little bit of time passes. Uh, Senku, uh, uh Taiju pr- dresses up Yuzuriha in a little makeshift dress for her. Uh, meanwhile, Shishio is dragging a fucking shark behind him. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. Uh, so, um, uh, Senku's like, well, what are you we don't have, we don't actually have enough here to revive a single person. Uh, and I just like, oh, all right, I'll run and get some more. And, uh, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. You go grab some. And so, is like, I'm the quickest. I should go. You should tell me where to find this miracle fluid. But this was Senku's plan all along. Ah, if you can commandeer the source of the fluid, there's a ten billion percent chance of stopping my plan to revive all of humanity. So, yeah, he's tricked him into going after the source of the fluid. And, uh, then, uh, Senku quickly finishes up, uh, actually gathering together all of the revival fluid that they have. And, uh, they're like, alright, we've got to put this together, we've got to revive Yuzuriha, uh, while Sukasa's away. And, uh, Sukasa, 
does inside the cave figure out, ah, the nitric acid. Okay, that's the key to, to this. And so he does have a, a valuable bit of knowledge from this, but, um, yeah. So he wanders a little bit further, and he see, he comes across, you know, a, a big crowd of people who are frozen in stone. And uh, as he does so, uh, Senku is explaining to Taiji what the hell is going on. Uh, and, uh, he's like, all right, look, it's, this is kind of, I'm, I'm kind of making a gambit here. Uh, he knows the cave's location now, but I really need to get rid of him before we can do this. Um, because, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's bad. This is what we're, this is the situation. Um, he wants to reside the world in his own image, basically. Taiju says, okay, gotcha. I'll trust your judgment because you're smarter than me. And, uh, Senku explains that Tsukasa Shishio is a good guy who just so happens to be a murderer. So, yeah. Well, it's, it's, this is interesting. So we've, we've sort of kind of gotten from this and established that this is going to, Tsukasa is going to be our first antagonist in this series. Mm-hmm. Then they revived three people. Third person turned out to be a bad guy, kind of. <laughs> uh, but I like that they have the ability to kind of scale up the evilness from here if they should need to encounter somebody else. Because they kind of say, like, he's a good guy who just happens to be a murderer. He's not, like, a heinous monster through and through, but he does have this weird state of kind of looking at adults. It's a little more objectly kind of black than I thought it was. The first time I read this, I thought that the fisherman, he, uh, like when he was telling the story about the fisherman, that it was a story related, like to the guy he was specifically looking at, that it was somebody who had wronged him in the past. And that was his thing. But that doesn't seem to, it seems like he was actually just telling a story of some fashion. So I'm sure we are going to get some explanation that explains maybe why he feels this way. But at the moment, he does seem just sort of like, fuck the adults. I want only young people to survive and there's not much basis for it but there's still and this is coming from somebody who's watched a lot of walking dead and like played that stuff when you put yourself into this post-apocalyptic kind of world you see the different kinds of people that build power from this i'm fully expecting at some point we're going to find out that Sinku and taiju are not the only people who have broken free i'm sure probably other groups like that so they are able to kind of scale that level of just insidiousness beyond what we're getting from Tsukasa once we finally move past that. So uh, I'm definitely excited for that notion of it. There's also a weird shot that we get uh, because uh, as Senku explains Tsukasa Shishio is a good guy who just so happens to be a murderer, you see Shishio is taking the heads off of a bunch of the, of the petrified people. And uh, he also, but he also sees Specifically, he hones in on this one family walking together, like a husband and wife and uh, a son and a daughter. And the son and daughter are, are like holding hands and walking together. And then you see that Shishio has left a shelled necklace on the little girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he takes the heads off of the adults. So... There likely was some basis of truth in his story. Right. Something of his own personal kind of thing. Or like he's... Also, I'm, also assuming he, I'm also assuming he just put okay. the... Like on a random family, he put the, the shell necklace on a random family, which speaks to him being, you know, unwell if he thinks that like, um, you know, he can 
you know, transmute this starting about his personal life onto this random person and be like, okay, yeah. that, that's solved. Yeah. And, and now I'll kill her evil parents. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not that she would like. Now she's a princess. Yeah. Now she's a mermaid. He just staples fish to her bottom for a while. <laughs> just a bunch of different fish tails to her torso down. He's like, now you're a pretty princess mermaid. <laughs> and she's still cognitively aware of what's happening. She's like, why? Why do I gain my sense of smell only now? So we cut back over to Taiju and Senku. And uh, Taiju is like very slowly going to pour the revival fluid onto Yuzuriha. Like, just like, come on, we're in a hurry. <laughs> um, and uh, there's a a bit of a a, a build up to this, uh, because um, you know, uh, Senku first says like, okay, you know, the re- the revi- the reaction takes a little bit of time, uh, and uh, you know, it starts off here, the one part of the layer gets broken down by the acid, and it starts the chain reaction, and slowly the stone starts to curl apart around her body. Taiju has a flashback to, you know, the basically just a quick recap of the first chapter, them being near each other, him shielding her while she grabbed onto the tree. And uh, while he thinks to himself, you know, I, I've loved you for hundreds, for thousands of years. I'm sorry I couldn't protect you then. And uh, the stone breaks open and there's this big two-page spread of him catching her as she as she stumbles on uh, down to the ground. And... uh she, he's crying as she's, as he says, do you remember me? And she, she says his name. And, uh, aw, they're, they're finally together after almost 4,000 years. And Senku's kind of awkwardly off, like crossing his arms behind him. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> so, um, Taiju, Taiju says, you know, uh, rather, Yuzuriya says, thank you for saving me to Taiju. And Taiju says, oh, it was all thanks to Senku, blah, blah, blah. Senku says, all right, anyway, guys, uh, before Skaz gets back, we've got two options. Plan A is for you guys to run away and live your lives out somewhere far away. Plan B is to put a stop to that murder of Tsukasa. We fight with the tools of civilization. And that's it. That's the end of the, uh, both chapters together. I like these chapters so, a lot, and I'm... Beyond glad we're going to get to actually see Dr. Stone do mm-hmm. its entire run in the magazine. I'm really excited about that. Whether this series goes on for 16 chapters or 1600, I'm just very excited we're going to get to see it. I, I really love Itagaki's style. Um, I loved already, like, the small hints we had to, like, that Ice Shield style of humor of, like, a smart guy who has to interact with kind of, like, a crew of, like, goobers. Um, and I think I'm actually really excited to see what... Um, Yuzuriha. is her name? Yuzuriha. Yuzuriha. I'm really excited to see what role she'll kind of play in this. It was one thing in Ice Shield that really didn't get to happen much because, you know, it's a football manga. You know, the main characters were all male characters. I'm kind of curious to see how, what role she'll play in all this. Like, she what are you talking about, trait. Chris? Hiro Mamori was one of the great romances of our time. <laughs> well, I, I love Mamori, actually. And Mamori had as big of a role as I think you could give somebody who wasn't a player or a coach. Like, she was a manager for the team, and she had a great story. But it's still the fact that she never got to play on a team. Like, right, there's right. three characters in this group right now. I wonder if she has some special traits she, like, we haven't seen yet as to what she can give the group, you know? Right. Senku's the mind. Taiju's the muscle. What does she have? What can she provide? Some sort of absolute quality, the way the three of them have. Yeah. Yeah. How have you felt about this series, Jeff? 
Is this one of your favorites? I know you you really like Demo, Demon Prince Poro's Diaries. <laughs> Did you almost say Demon Slaying Poro? I I can't. It's, it's all this Demon Slaying Poro's. <laughs> I, I, I know it's D P P or no D D fuck it. I don't know what it is. All right. It's gone. It's, it's, it's an awkward. I mean, I just think of it as Poro because it's an awkward English. Like demon, demon prince's poor, demon prince Poro's diary. Like it kind of like has it built yeah. up and it's like, Oh, just diary. Oh, okay. Okay. Anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, Poro was my favorite. This one is like not a person like, Oh my God, I, I love it so much, but it definitely like from the first chapter was the most. It's hard to explain. I feel like it's the most likely to, I feel like this would be the easiest to show to someone and be like, yes, this is worth reading. Mm-hmm. You know, like in the way of like we think about like Promise Neverland now and it's like, that's the one that stands out is, you know, if you, it's going to inevitably be animated and be amazing and be super popular once animated and you can point to people like, this is definitely worth checking out and mm-hmm. they'll like just be, just by like getting a summary and looking at it, they'll be sold on it. This is the, the one that stood out on those metrics. Like, like, yeah. The concept is quick to explain. It looks extremely striking, and it just like has this thrust that the other ones I didn't feel like had. So it's not my personal favorite of the six, but but I think it was like the most and like, sorry, most, it's the fun. most solid. Oh. And <laughs> it was the hardest. It reached maximum hardness. Uh, yes. Now it's worth noting at the end of the magazine there is a note that a new series is going to be joining the lineup as well next week. So. The, the assumption would be that it might be another jump start. There's, it doesn't specifically say that. But if so, would your number one choice be then Demon Prince Poro, Daily Diary Demon-ness Poro? I'm trying to think what, what I can say. <laughs> how, how I can say it. Um, I think it's, I, okay, I, I don't think this is, uh, you know, like spoiling too much. And. Well, here's the thing. I'll, I don't, I don't I'll, just, want, I'll just say, I'll, I'll just say the, the next. The thing that is teased in there, um, is not my favorite. Okay. So, yeah, right. I, I don't I don't know if there's enough clues to pick up on that about what it is, but uh. So what you're saying is the next one is <laughs> I show twenty one. They're picking it up even from the past and bringing it to the magazine. <laughs> yeah, I totally. I want to read into anything you say. Well, I'm like, wait a minute. I think reading between the lines, you're saying Kingdom Hearts 3 starts in the magazine next week. <laughs> it's an interactive manga. You play it through manga. Holy shit. It starts with the Marvel Universe where you team up with Captain America and they personalize it. So in every magazine I read, it's the character say, Chris, we have to team up with Captain America and Darth Vader to stop the evil Heartless. And I'm like, ah! Yep. I'm pretty excited. Um, Confirmed. I, I'm, I'm oh, looking forward to it. You spoiled the surprise now, Chris. So, uh, yeah, it's dumb on me. But on. hey, I'm looking forward to seeing a new manga next week. You know, regardless of what yeah. it is, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's name our favorites so that I, I can go work. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I'll let you have it first. Guests should uh, have first thoughts. All right. So first, favorite, favorite series. Series first, right? Mm. Yes. I think I'm gonna go with Promise Neverland. I mean, the, I just the the kind of payoff of the the series wide arc that I was talking about before of Norman tricking Ray to go along with him, like the whole dynamic between the three of them that was set up so early on and paying it off now, and just building up this plan that's like convincingly could work, but also like it can't go off flawlessly. I think that's uh, lots of great tension. 
I think that was a great chapter just to set it up. And I mean, like every chapter of Promised Neverland makes me super excited to see what happens next. But also really curious to look back and be like, huh, but the way things, you know, eventually went, this in retrospect isn't that great, is possible. But all indications now seem to indicate that's not going to be the case. So, yeah. I can see that. Uh, I'm going to give mine to uh, Dr. Stone. Uh, which has happened far too frequently, but hey, fuck you. <laughs> I love this, I love this mankaka and, uh, mangaka. And mankaka is a different thing that I also enjoy. But uh, I That's really- That's how you I, get maximum hardness. Exactly. I, I really love this series. I love these chapters. I love how things have kind of developed and this dude's already turned into a bad guy, but I just loved how fun it was. So, um, I'm, I'm gonna give it to Dr. Stone. And I'm also going to go for Dr. Stone. I do feel as though we're like letting, building ourselves up for a big letdown for this to end. I feel like it's us. Two months or something. It's us getting the chance to give these awards to Ice Shield 21 now that we didn't have the chance to talk about Ice Shield 21 on the podcast itself. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it, even if we had like started the podcast like a year prior, we would just been like, man, this isn't as good as it used to be. <laughs> Um, I, uh, I really liked, uh, the way that things have gone down in the series. I was shocked to see things just kind of move the pace and the pace to continue, uh, the reveal of Shishio as being the villain, the fact that they actually did, uh, break Yuzuriha out as quickly as they did, uh, were a big surprise to me and, uh, was very pleased with the pace that, uh, the series is maintaining. Yeah. I'm really excited to see what kind of character Yuzuriha is. Yeah. She, uh, we don't really know too much about her, except that she gets along with Taiju really well. Yeah, and that, that one interaction, interaction they had where, like, she was just as dumb as he is. Mm-hmm. That, that has potential. Curious to see that, so. And then Senku will have another dumb person to bounce off. <laughs> hey, I mean, wasn't like 80% of the double bats stupid, like, super stupid? It was, it was just like Musashi and Jumanji, essentially. Musashi, like... Jumanji, and Yukimitsu were the, were the only smart ones. Yeah. Uh, MVPs. Uh, I'll go ahead and go first. Uh, mine was uh, Kirishima from My Hero Academia. Um, pretty easy choice, honestly. Yep, it's Kirishima. That was a great chapter for him to kind of grow. Jeff, are you going to complete the trifectorate? I'm trying to think. I was like, as soon as you said Kirishima, I was like, yeah, it's definitely Kirishima. But I don't want to go with it just because. What if I, what if I pick Yuno? Would, like, would. What? <laughs> 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 He didn't even have a line. You know, he well, had he one. Did. He said, "Like you he did." He, he, he said, he said "Hi to Asta," basically. <laughs> oh, but the way he yeah, said it, oh, you can read it so much. Look how dreamy he was. Look at the way the girls fawned over him. <laughs> said, "Sivers down my spine." I almost, I almost also want to do. You can pick whoever you want. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, Phil would be a great troll pick. Hey, Phil's actually a very realistic pick. Rebecca. <laughs> No, I think I think I do want to go with Kirishima because I mean that was just it wasn't a favorite chapter by far, but it was you know, great, like visually and character development wise, was great. Yeah, All right. Okay, that's uh, that's gonna do it then. Uh, we are gonna wrap things up here and uh, see you guys next week. Uh, so if you guys want, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at WMR Podcast. That's the official Twitter account, and that way you can stay updated because uh, while we do let you guys know you know when we're going to start recording on Hitbox.tv and uh, slash reality and Twitch.tv slash reality, uh, you might, you know, not have cleared out your schedule if we happen to have moved the day for it. So 
stay updated on that by following us. You can also follow Jeff at JeffNitleyJeff on Twitter. Check out our past episodes on weeklymongerecap.podbean.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave a comment or rating on iTunes so that we can beat the woodworking podcast. And do the same thing on YouTube, too, because just do it. You know? We did actually get a new <laughs> review on iTunes, by the way, from Dr. Urbanga, who says, I don't know if I approve of Nick's dislike of chocolate. One Piece has been going downhill since the Seer Village arc, but WMR is pretty good, though. So thank you, Dr. Manga. I appreciate the, uh, the sass towards One Piece immediately followed up with like a real, like verification of like, WMR is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I need. Let me just nag you a bit and then I'll say you're pretty alright. Yeah. <laughs> I love when reviews mention that the randomest, it's like they, they happen to listen to one random episode and then that's the one point they mention. Yeah. Like, okay, sure, that, that summarizes the entire podcast. Cool. <laughs> Send us criticism, uh, ask us questions, suggest future manga for us to read, uh, by doing, doing all, do all that by sending us emails. Weekly manga recap at yahoo.com is the way to do it. Special, special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. Well, actually, no, because you're making me read Prince of Tennis again. Hey. Uh, you <laughs> do all sorts of bonus stuff, like read Prince of Tennis. Special thanks, by the way, to uh, Lindbergh and Arn Menz, who are our newest patrons. Thank you very much. Fist bump. It's because of you that Nick has to read uh, Prince of Tennis. I say that not fully realizing that I will also have to read Prince of Tennis. <laughs> Once you get into Chapter 100 of 396, then uh, maybe you will sing a different tune there. I know. Yeah. Well, this is, this is you prior to Air Gear, where you didn't realize yet how bad Air Gear was. You just knew I hated it. So that's what we're basically going to be going into this time. Nah. So. Special thanks as well go out to Steve Manor Talk Artist. You can check out his work on his own Patreon, but uh, be aware that uh, he does much NSFW's things. And uh, he also has stuff like neurofanboy.dmirror.com, and he's, he posts to a bunch of different web pages, basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Also, if Miss Planet does frames for us, thank you for that. Yeah, that's screw, it. Screw That's it. This planet. <laughs> hey, thanks, Jeff, for being on the show. We've been happy to have you back. Thank and you. I, I, yeah. I'm glad we have yeah. you on. Yeah. Is there any time for, for other stuff? I guess I miss all the other stuff. But nothing, nothing exists. It's really beneficial to us that your computer decided to go like shit at the end of the episode as opposed to yeah, in the middle yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're gonna have to have you on the show again. I, I, I made this promise before, I just didn't have time to finish it prior to this. But the next time we have you on the show, you're going to help me read A World no. Trigger to My Heart Backdoor <laughs> Part 5. It's, it's in the process of being written. But a part That's like a this- That's a contractual obligation for recurring guests of the podcast. Guys, my plan, my, my grand plan is to escalate. Like anytime I can get someone from Shonen Jump on the show, it's going to be so that they can read a portion of this. I'm gonna, my goal is like now to like get a point where Sasaki-san has to read a portion of this and it's just gonna be awful. But then from there, I fly over to Japan and the end goal for this, this might be the last episode of Weekly Manga Recap ever if it happens, is to get Ashihara Sensei to read a portion of World Trigger to My Heart Back Door, and then I stop. I'm like, we can't go past this. It's done. <laughs> but that's going to do it. Thank well, you, Jeff. It was, it's great to know that we can even use robots now, Chris. Yes. Uh, so that's going to do it for Week of Hunger Recap. We look forward to next week when we get to watch the uh, uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 manga come out. And... Uh, 
I'm hoping uh, Captain America doesn't have to come out first chapter, but first three, hopefully, please. I don't want to have to wait too long for him. Everyone's going to be waiting for him, not just me, but do it because I said so, please. So we'll catch you guys <laughs> next time. Weekly Monka Recap. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>